to We Thought About Games, the podcast where games are looked at historically, fondly, and critically. Tonight we're going to look at Fantasy Star Online. With me today are Next Time. Hello. Mihal. Hi. <laughs> and Kirby Superstar. Hello. Alright, so Kirby, you want to start us off with the history of Fantasy Star Online? Sure. So, the chairman of Sega for uh, quite a while was a man named Isao Okawa, who really just loved video games and kind of kept bankrolling Sega through years and years of really bad decisions, like the 32X and Saturn, all sorts of things like that. I don't know if he played a lot of games, but he really did like them, and when the Dreamcast was sort of coming out, it was his idea to have a modem in it, because he thought, you know, playing games online and across the world is probably going to be a, a pretty big and important thing in the future. Uh, That's correct. Yeah. That wasn't without precedent, because especially in the US, uh, a lot of people on PCs were uh, playing things like MUDs and it's more online and stuff. But uh, in Japan, PC games never really caught on as much, and Japanese dial-up ISP was still charging by the minute, uh, even well into the early 2000s. So he paid out of his own pocket for every uh, Japanese Dreamcast to come with a free year of dial-up access in order to, you know, get the ball rolling throughout the country. And most of the uh, development teams at Sega you know, agreed with his idea that uh, online games would be really good, but they kind of had their own projects and nobody wanted to, uh, you know, put their hand up and say, yeah, we'll work on that. Uh, Yuji Naka's Sonic team had just finished uh, wrapping up Sonic Adventure 1. So their team was split into three, one which focused on pushing Dreamcast graphics as far as they could, a smaller one that worked on little projects like uh, Choo Choo Rocket, and uh, probably save this world. And uh, one more to sort of work around the idea of an online cooperative game. And very early on they decided that it was going to be sci-fi oriented. And they internally called it the third world. Wonderful um, The art director at the time was Satoshi Sakai, who still works at Sega now, working on Fantasy Star Online 2. He drew a picture of a dragon and showed it to Yuji Naka, said that, you know, maybe mixing in some fantasy to the sci-fi would be pretty neat. They thought about it and realized, oh, you know what, we have an RPG series that did just that and we kind of aren't doing anything with. So they decided to make it a new Fantasy Star game of sorts. At the time, Naka was also quite a big fan of uh, Diablo. She really enjoyed, you know, going out and getting random loot and things like that, but uh, he apparently wasn't much of a fan of the visuals and sort of uh, set the team a goal to make their game like that, but look a lot better um, and have more personality, I suppose. Anyway, so they ended up making the game, and uh, it came out and sort of just met their sales expectations, not too much over what they thought it was going to do. Uh, despite critical acclaim, um, which turned out to be somewhat of a uh, blessing, as 
their internal server infrastructure actually couldn't handle very more, many more people, and if a lot more people were playing it, then it would have actually just fallen over and died. <laughs> Which uh, is kind of a trend that follows Sega to this day. Sadly, though, during production, uh, Saokawa became quite ill and passed away from heart failure just three days before it won the fifth annual Japan Game Award from Japan's Ministry of Trade, Economics, and Industry. That was 2001, I think, so it was uh, probably a year and a half after the Dreamcast came out. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, uh, the story premise you get when you start up the game is uh, presented with some really nice mood-setting music for a sort of space opera-type setting. <laughs> uh, is that uh, to escape from their planet ravaged by war, um, which some background material states the planet's called Coral, which I had no idea of when I played it. Real talk, I didn't even know that the name planet had a name until like maybe a month ago. I just found out when I decided to look up the premise on the wiki, so they don't really tell you in the game, they just say to escape from the planet ravaged by the war. They could have, but it's just probably buried on some somewhere. Yeah. Um, but to escape a um, project is put forth called the Pioneer Project where they launch one ship to find a habitable home planet which will contain most of the military and scientific personnel, and then one containing the civilian population and the remaining military and scientific personnel. The first ship, Pioneer 1, arrives at the planet Regal and sets up shop there and gives Pioneer 2 the go-ahead to join them. As soon as Pioneer 2 arrives and sets up a communication link, a giant explosion rocks the central dome structure that Pioneer 1 had set up, and they lose all communication. So... You, as a member of the Hunter's Guild, has to cooperate with the government and the guild, and, you know, just do your own thing, uh, and find out what happened. Alright, so next time, how does it play? As, it's, as uh, Kirby mentioned early on, uh, they were trying to go, they are trying to kind of go for, like, a Diablo-y feel, where you team up with some friends, and then you go into an instance type of dungeon... And murder things, get random loot, get to the end, and kill a big bad thing. Though, uh, where, uh, Diablo was kind of based around, like, uh, like class, the classic PC RPG type gameplay of, uh, that was kind of like, uh, RTS. Yeah, like, right, like, uh, kind of RTS-y, but you just click on things and just click on things to death. And to either, to they, until they die, you die, or you actually die. <laughs> they took it in a different direction by making it more action-oriented, where you move the character around, you can manually evade attacks by getting out of the way, then come back and do some counterattacks, and say, yeah, they probably also disliked the whole left-click until... Any something expires, implementing a uh, like a little combo system where if you just if you're just mashing the attack button like I did for like a good solid month or two when I Same started here. playing, uh, you're just going to swing your weapon, and then you just kind of st- don't swing it anymore. You just swing it, and then you just stand there awkwardly and take a hit. Yeah. But if you time your button presses instead, like at the very end 
of the first attack's animation or something, you'll yeah. do a little. You'll continue a combo up to like three hits. Yeah, three inputs and however many hits the weapons do. I just remember the first time, like seeing another player do more than one attack in succession. I was like, "What <laughs> sorcery is this?" <laughs> Oh man, my brother and I just figured it out because we were trying to attack quickly and did a second hit, and that was impossible for us to get for the longest time, because if you press the button too soon, you won't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you mispress, so you actually have to be mindful of that. The like, it was probably easier, easier to do on a, on like, a guns, because those had short attack animations, so you could probably mash on those and not even know and get the three hits in and not really notice. Hmm. Maybe you did. I sure didn't. At least for maybe, like, rifles or pistols. Shotguns were definitely slow, too slow. Yeah. Anyway. But um, when you make your character, you actually choose from... In the Dreamcast version, there's three races and three character classes and three pre-combined archetypes for each. So there's hunters who focus on close-range weaponry, rangers who focus on guns, and forces who focus on magic. And Photon the three races magic. Yes. And the three races are humans, new men, and androids. And androids can't use magic, so they're never part of spellcasting classes. And I guess they decided that new men rangers wouldn't be any different from humans mm-hmm. or androids, so they're not included in that one. They have, all have different specializations. There's some weapons that you require certain stats to equip certain weapons, but also some weapon types just can only be equipped by certain classes. So swords, which hit multiple enemies, can only be used by hunters. Long-range rifles can only be used by rangers. And the forced weapons aren't really that great to use, but only they can use those. Yeah, they. I think a lot of, time, a lot of them offered like defensive bonuses. Yeah, like, they uh, raise your... Evasion, uh, or I think... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, rods were evasion, and uh, canes were defense. Yeah, and they increase your magic casting power, and they have different animations. So they're not useless, but you're not missing out as the other classes by not being able to use them. Yeah. Uh, canes were literally just the saber animations, again, just on a different weapon type. And have unappealing names like cane and stick. Then you get club. <laughs> Oh, the club is the best one. Uh, then, uh, like later on, you would start finding a few other types. Yeah, like shotguns and wands later on, which like wands were more like wands just reused the double saber animation. I think they were actually boosted your magic. They like directly boosted your magic attack more than the others, but provided little to nothing else. Yeah. There's like an interesting mix of weapons. You start the game off, you'll only find and be able to buy basic weapons like sabers, which only hit one enemy in our close range, and handguns, which have about average range, pretty weak bullets. Um, but later on, you'll start finding new types of weapons, like uh, shots, which are multi-hit weapons for rangers, and uh, partisans, which are like long, like spear-type weapons for hitting crowds. But yeah, and once you get up into the higher difficulties is when you start getting the higher quality levels of the items. Like, there's average items, and they each have different colors. So, like, a saber is green, but the buster, which is the third-tier one, is purple and stuff like that. And mm. Then you'll also start finding 
rare weapons, which on the Dreamcast version just sort of glow between the, uh, two photon colors, which is not very exciting. And then on the GameCube versions and up, they have unique appearances. And there are some weapon types which are only rare weapons. There's no average version, so double sabers, which are... A lot of people, when they saw it, brought up a Darth Maul from Star Wars Episode One. Uh, but this has nothing embarrassing or racist attached to it, so there's that. And uh, speaking of which, actually, with the character creator... You can make a decent range of appearances for people, mostly even though the colors are preset, because you can set the proportions yourself, which is actually pretty nice. You can make someone who's tiny and has a giant sword, because the weapons don't change size depending on who's using them. Yeah, that was always fun. Me, would you like to discuss the atmosphere of the game? Oh, hell yes. The big thing for me was just the way they combined the art style, which was kind of not quite as anime as it was in, like, Fantasy Star Universe or the like, it was... Or the original earlier Fantasy Star games, which had anime cutscenes. Yeah, it... Instead of doing cutscenes, they would have uh, little data discs you could read... And that they kind of fit that into the general atmosphere, but um, like once you get into the forest, you're in this like really lush, beautiful forest. There's serene music playing in the background. You have the little glowing discs and little particle effects everywhere that kind of make it a really relaxing and beautiful yet mysterious setting. The way it uses the music to kind of transition you from walking around in the calm, mysterious exploration to combat is really interesting. Yeah, there's actually a bunch of fade points on the soundtrack. Yep. Uh, which you can see if you open up the Blue Burst, the most recent PC version's audio files. They have sort of a metadata which has transition points in it, so... It will transition between exploration and fighting, but it's always pretty smooth. Yep. There's just a lot of little details like that. Also, just the general pace of the gameplay leads itself to the kind of mysterious setting it's going for. Um, like, it's not a very fast game, even though it definitely has action elements. It's very slow-paced. You're kind of just waltzing around in the dungeons. Um, there's also a lot of like variety in the designs of the areas and the way that, um, like in the volcano stages, you start off in like a typical volcano level that just lava and tunnel uh, like rock walls yeah. and things like that. Igneous platforms. Yeah. And then you get to the second layer and suddenly you're in this like really beautiful set of caves where there's like water pouring down from the sides. You have beautiful waterfalls with lush flowers and butterflies and shit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And it once you get to the third area, it transitions again 
into like an underground facility. Um, yeah, with sort of weird organic growths. Yep, and just the way it used all of that together, there it gives a really. It keeps it from getting monotonous, and it also helps give it a lot of life at the same time. Yeah. Hmm. And there's sort of... They mostly do this in the forest, but I mean, a lot of games do this with the first area having nicer production values, I suppose. But, like, there's little brooks, and if you walk near them, like, when it's quiet, you can actually hear the water flowing, which is yeah. a totally unnecessary touch for what's like a dungeon crawler. <laughs> loot-based game, but they put it in there. Yeah. It's really nice. And, I mean, Especially for... 2001, like, yeah. it's competition in this regard. The attention to detail they had with all the little effects that were going on. There's also, like, right before you get to Dark Falls, you're in that, like, lush green ruins with a oh, single yeah. monolith and like soft piano music is playing in the background and then when you walk up to the monument all the flowers wilt away and it just becomes like this horrible pit I think yeah. some of the one of the better things about that track is that if you stop and listen to it it actually begins to degrade a little bit yeah, like, the piano is very serene, and, like, the environmental effects are closer to what you hear in the forest, but if you wait, like, a really sort of dark, like, minor key string part starts. I'll, I'll put it under this section. So There's also, it. like, uh, some birds that are chirping, but then they start sounding more like actual, like, audiophile-type things going on with it. It could, have, it could have been unintentional, but still, it adds to it. But it's one of those things where so much is done intentionally and intelligently that you give them that credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. It has weird sort of horror-ish elements, both in terms of the story and the setting. Like, the notes you read, which are left behind by, like, an ace hunter from Pioneer 1. One of the founders of Hunter's Guild, apparently. Yeah. Yep. Like, they start off with, like, advice for the enemies in the area. But the discoveries go from, like, oh, something's wrong, like, things are different, something's happened, to something strange is happening, to we've discovered something horrible and there's no turning back. Then it transitions into, like, her talking about how she's basically being possessed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, even as early as Forest, you get a lot of people, say- like, saying... Yo, wasn't there some sort of huge, gigantic explosion? How come all there's like no trace of an explosion here at, ex- at all, aside from there being absolutely nobody here, except for native creatures? Yeah, which, mm-hmm. if you look at the logs, or, or um, Rico being confused, these things were peaceful. Which is weird when you look at some of them, because they just look like killing machines. Yeah. But, you know, sort of like these things were friendly or peaceful. You know, they didn't bother people unless we bothered them. But now they're aggressive. They come for us as soon as they see us. When you start seeing the uh, the little uh, smaller monoliths around, and there's little notes next to them saying, "Oh, this thing is really weird, and it's kind of warm for some reason." I don't know. Yeah, and you find out later what they're for, mm-hmm. but that note doesn't even understand really what they're for. Just how you activate them, like so, it's a gameplay thing at that point. 
and then later you realize that that's also a huge mistake. <laughs> there are still elements of people saying there's something definitely wrong here, even yeah. early on. And even just as a sort of small touch, I mean, when you attack enemies, there's like blood comes out, and they leave blood puddles behind when they die, which is more violent than usual for a game with that kind of presentation at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But speaking of which, the sound design in this game is probably what's dated the least, because it's really good. It's bizarre to say this multiplayer online action RPG from 2001 gets you a lot of mileage out of your subwoofer. But it totally <laughs> does. Like, just every time a hit connects, which we'll discuss when it doesn't later, um, but every time it does, it's like a really bassy noise that undercuts every single attack in the team. Even stuff that seems like it would be light. Like, oh, like we said, the, the canes and stuff are really weirdly tiny weapons, but they actually have a pretty satisfying hit effect compared to even modern games still get this wrong. Yeah. Also, the uh, monster effects are very... The the first basic enemy you meet is uh, kind of sounds like the imps from Doom. <laughs> yes. But uh, otherwise, everything else is pretty interesting and original. You know, hearing uh, one of the builder bears dropping behind you and letting out a little roar, like even... Even if you can't see it, you know it's there, and you know, okay, I have to react to this really quickly, or it's gonna, you know, clean my clock. Yeah, and yep. the screen shakes. And I think yeah. even like they even when they like uh, they spawn in, they kind of jump in, and they make a little thump noise or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even if they are behind you, you're like, shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. When the enemies appear, it's very. Some of them, I mean, they pop up out of the ground sometimes for no reason, but other ones like the uh, rag rappies, which argue the mascot of the game just sort of like fall from the sky that buries underground <laughs> they really like doing that they do yeah it was kind of a convenient way to transition enemies in and out yeah well i mean in each room like if you could only fight as many enemies are there already it would be much quicker yeah and uh, the ways that the early enemies come in like the hill the bears jump in and that can be harmful and they can start attacking immediately. Um, oh, I like moth, the mothverts being lowered in by their uh, moth gnats that they spawn. Oh, yeah, man, you just hear cool. that buzzing. Oh, the, yeah. I think what happens to them on hard mode is brilliant, but again, we'll get to that. Um, later. Yeah, but then in later sections, uh, in the caves, a lot of stuff like warps in Star Trek style, which is very strange. Yeah. Um, there's no real explanation for that at all. I mean, even less so than everything else. But mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense for the robots and some of the uh, A-beasts, but yeah, a lot of the stuff it really doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> yeah. Again, this, is, this has interesting story elements. It's not a story-driven game. You're not going to play this for the story, but mm-hmm. what they did with it is nice, considering they didn't have to. Yeah, it the story is basically there to give you motivation, and at the same time, it does help give the setting... A, makes you feel closer to the setting, basically. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I think my favorite ways an enemy appears, a standard enemy, is in the mines, the Sinnoh Beats, which are pretty much robot ninjas, uh, 
they drop down from the ceiling, and if you can see them when they spawn in, they're just sort of clinging by their feet to the ceiling with their arms crossed. And then they land, and then they jump at you and totally annihilate you. But my favorite is in the ruins, uh, there's an enemy called a Chaos Bringer, and the first room you're probably going to see them in is the Midway Room in Ruins 2, which is a super long stretch yeah. um, with some side portions you can't access until you flip some switches. So, you know, you see some enemies, you know, it's fine, and then something just rushes at you, and it's a centaur with a sword arm. <laughs> a gun and sword it wrecks arm. you, because Chaos Bringers were hell. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're really tough. Oh, man. I mean, we'll, we'll get late later on, they start getting even more assholey. Yeah. But just in terms of atmosphere, and the bosses. The first one is a dragon, which I remember when my brother and I found it because we didn't realize the boss teleporter. In retrospect, it's super obvious. It's a giant teleporter that says, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> um, are you sure? But yeah, so the first boss is a dragon, which like, probably the most interesting thing it does is halfway through the fight, um, it'll start tunneling underground, which can be pretty nerve-wracking. Yeah. Or, unless you figure it out. Uh, but then the other bosses afterwards, the second boss is like a giant tunnel sewer worm. Uh, which, yeah, the, the music for that boss is perfect. Mm-hmm. Yes. They used it in the trailer for version 2 of Fantasy Star Online because it's probably one of the more iconic pieces. The other boss music is okay by comparison. Um, and that fight, you know, first of all, it's a giant worm that's shooting, like, exploding mine spores and stuff at you. And it has a skull face? Yeah, it's and like a skull mask. Well, that's the thing. You don't know it's a mask, yeah. really, until you break it off, and it yeah. has a gross worm face underneath it. <laughs> it's just like, whoa, what is going on? And then also, probably before that point, partway through the fight, it turns the lights out. And it starts, yeah. like, bouncing across the ceiling, dropping yeah. rocks on you. Firing lasers at you. Oh, it's oh, yeah. fantastic. I mean, that fight can go on for a while. Like, that's definitely one of the first fights that risks that. Mm-hmm. But just uh, the way it plays out is really fantastic first time. Even, it's by far my favorite boss in the game. Like, yeah. even from the upgraded versions. Yeah, like, uh, the future games, like, would try to recreate the fight, but they never really recaptured, like, horror-ish elements. Elements yeah. of the, yeah. the initial fight. And fantasy, even episode two of the original Fantasy Star Online tries to recapture this fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they make it more hectic, but it has much less personality and it feels it's very cute. Sweet. Yeah. Makes those um, little ray then, mice yeah, things little... that squeak around. They're yeah. the paralyzed one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, if you run parallel, you'll miss all of them. Pro tip. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah. And for the third section of the mines, I mean, even before we discuss the boss, it's like the forest and the caves have set up a sort of enemy pattern where there's a standard enemy with sort of three levels of difficulty, and like three different forms that get progressively bigger, and then a bunch of different side interesting enemies. Then you get to the mines, and the default enemy is a robot that if you hit them, they fall down. Like, they don't get stunned. They actually fall to the floor and then get back up. And if you stay far away from them, they shoot you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very 
like it completely threw me off the first time I played. It's it's so different, and the music itself is obviously more electronic sounding. Yep. And then the only evolution of them is actually a weird like zombie robot thing. Oh yeah, I I really like that enemy just because you can. It makes it seem like you can't actually kill them through like attacking them over and over again because they just have so much health. Yeah, you knock them down, and like they get knocked to the floor and they fall apart, which is what the regular robot enemies do once you've done the killing blow to them. But then they just sort of change, like they become sort of more broken-looking, and you see little strings of electricity between their limbs, and they hook parts of themselves back together and get back up. Yep. And make really weird, like, really distorted, like, messed-up robot sounds mm-hmm. compared to the normal ones. And the, the trick to destroying them is... They have a controller switch, but yeah. until you figure that out, it's just like, what the hell is going on? I think you have to attack them once or twice, and then the switch falls down. Yeah, you have to kill one, and then the switch will appear, unless you can see the switch, and then if you have a gun, you can just blow it up. Mm-hmm. One of the many ways in which guns are much better than other weapons yeah. in this game, for the most part. We'll, we'll, ah, yeah, we're going to have a time once we get to the gameplay section. Power <laughs> um, in depth. Yeah, uh... You can actually also kill them if you just keep repeatedly yeah. killing them, which yep. I yeah. guess is considerate if you're that <laughs> stubborn. No more. Yeah, you kill them eight <laughs> times, I think, or five or eight times, and then they just explode. I want to say eight just because, like... They want to punish you that hard for not finding the yeah. one switch? Yeah, for like, yeah. it's... You've, you could have probably already seen it by now. Yeah. I think I did that once when I found, like, an instant kill weapon, just because I thought it was really funny, you know... <laughs> And once, especially once they come back to life, their resistance to certain like instant kills and stuff like that gets way lower. But that's a nice change. And then the boss of the mines, like at first, it's just like a face and computer screens, um, which is like that fight is pretty good. It's decently like skill based. So you're not gonna really get hit if you can just keep up with the pace of the fight. <laughs> and then the second part, I also like this musical transition because it becomes just like big doom march kind of and then you're fighting something that is sort of keeps spinning to face you and it fires all of its attacks just cause you to panic it fires missiles that chase you it fires an energy ball thing that if it captures you you can't do anything and its eye like glows up more and more and more until it hits you with a super powerful attack if you play with someone they can break you out of it if you're not then you just get to face it and its um, most upsetting attack is where it... Well, that one's probably the most upsetting, but the one it does the most is it'll chase you with the laser, and then a panel on it opens up and charges up, and then pillars from the ceiling try to smash you. <laughs> and that oh, goes on for a little while, too. Like, if you just like, all right, I dodged the pillar. Oh, here's another one. Here's another one. It never stops. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just keeps trying to smash you for, like, a good ten seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when it stops to heal itself, that's almost a relief because it's not attacking you, finally. (laughs) Once you beat that fight, instead of going back to Pioneer 2, um, I'm not sure how true this is on later versions. I I like the PC versions and stuff because I haven't played the official release. But instead of going back, you enter this little hallway that's got the ruins exploration music, and it's a little chunk of the ruins, and it's got a sealed door, and that's where you learn the incantation that you're supposed to use on the pillars 
to open it. So you have to go back through the areas again, which, depending on how you feel about that and how overpowered you are, it's good or bad, but you find the pillars and activate them, and then you can... You have to go back through the section, beat the boss again, and then you can go through the door and you've unlocked the ruins. I want to say, unless it required you to go back the first time, you yeah. could theoretically find the pillars on your first run through That's the right, chair. yeah. In the Dreamcast version, yep. you can't activate the pillars until you see the message uh, in this lead-up section. Hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, then you can activate them, and then you can go to the I think uh, I think I remember on Xbox, you could just just touch it anyways. Like, what is the sound? I'll touch yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, which, I mean, it's fine. Narratively, it's a little weaker, but I can understand the gameplay concession. Yeah, it, because having to go back through all the areas, like, forest and the mines are okay, but having to go through caves again is the worst. Yeah, the forest and mines are two sections, uh, the caves is three. Everybody hates caves. I love <laughs> De Roulet, but I cannot stand the caves. Yeah, it has those nice aesthetic changes, but like those are necessary. Forest two compared to Forest One, which yeah, the area names are kind of bland in episode one. But uh Forest Two, like it starts raining, it's a little more overcast. Uh Forest Yeah, uh but Caves, you know, has those area transitions. Mines two it looks different, like it's a little more closed in and darker. And it's uh, kind of more damaged and worn down. Yeah, that's true. And it's closer to the damage. So that's kind of interesting. But it's also not incredibly different, but the area itself is so strong to play that it works out. Hmm. Ruins, they get progressively more sort of organic over time. That's about it, aesthetically yeah. speaking. I mean, it, the it, organic stuff gets kind of gross and unsettling. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> Yeah, that's it. And that's also three sections, and it's the most difficult, so... Yeah. Yeah, people don't mind. Like, people just hate caves, but a lot of people are kind of still like runes anyway, just because, just like, for the challenge and whatnot. And the area yeah. music is really good. Yeah. Like, ruins has a lot of really good design, just in general, they put different enemies on different levels in a way that... It keeps it constantly evolving as you get further down. That's true. And uh, they do this with other levels, but it feels more so in Ruins. And yeah. just, there's some really strong environmental design going around there, like the waterfall you can go across. That yeah. is always one of my favorite rooms. Um, yeah. Once you hit the caves, every area has a midpoint room. Caves 1 is just a little longer than usual. It's a, it's a little more open on the sides. Uh, Caves 2 has the waterfall room, which is really pretty striking. Caves 3 is more... I think more split into two types of rooms. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Like, you have the kind of more greenery rooms that have more... It's more have, like, a more bluish feel to them than you have, like, the more rocky rooms that have... Oh, wait, I think Caves 3 does have a set mid-center point room. It's roughly shaped kind of like the Caves 2 midpoint room, but it's uh, a bit smaller and doesn't have the waterfalls or anything. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it has, like, you go from the kind of 
technological feel of it to just an area with dirt and grass on the ground and a lot of fighting That's colors. Right. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. But yeah, it's just that room is typically, I think, a number of the uh, setups for Caves Three have that room start in darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another touch this game does, is that some rooms you walk into and the lights are out when you go in, so if you if something glows, like enemy attacks or sometimes parts of enemies, you can see that, but you have to find a light switch to turn it on, which is not super difficult, and I mean, if you look at the minimap, you can see where the enemies are, but it's a nice bit of atmosphere, and sometimes you want to... Like the button glows too, but they often yeah. also put a... Uh... The button underneath some boxes or something. Yeah, or behind yeah. a little door barrier. Or you know, you can go back and stand in the doorway, and as soon as the game thinks you've moved into the other room, then it lights the room back up again. Yeah, but, but again, you can't attack things from outside the room, so yeah, you still have to deal with it. Well, uh, I believe you can cast text outside of doors. Yeah, sort of. And, I mean, without lock-ons, though, it's yeah. a little. It's a bit dicey. Hildebears are one of the few enemies that can actually attack you outside of the room just because they yeah. have the foy. Yeah. Also, um, I mean, as we're going through the areas, the boss arena for the dragon is just a, under the dome. It's just a cave dome. It's all right. It's a circle. <laughs> um, and then Daryl you fight on, because it's in a sewer, you're on a raft. Daryl is, you know, on all sides of you and jumping over the raft and stuff. Okay, and then the mines, the midway room, it's really small and it's unassuming, but the first enemy that shows up is a Cinnobeat, which is the ninja, so that's the highlight of that room. Oh, really. yeah. Mines 2 has the zigzag room. Yeah, that one is it's an interesting encounter setup because they have the reviving robots at the beginning, but the switch to kill them all is at the end, and you have to yep. zigzag across and more enemies spawn as you go through. So that's, that was really effective. Um, and then, like, once you get into the second half, once you get past that room, is when they start throwing uh, brands at you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that weapon. Um, but the the boss arena, like I said, the first boss is just, a, you're surrounded by a bunch of monitors, and there's some pillars, and then the blown-up version of that room is again an oval, but instead of the dragon where it chases you around there, the boss is the center point of the room, and there's yep. not much room outside of that. <laughs> And then with the ruins, the first halfway room? I think it's the waterfall. Right, yeah, that's right. The uh, That one's pretty interesting, because there's just a huge crater there. And once you kill all the enemies, you can read a note. So it's like, oh, this seems like where the blast that destroyed the dome surged up from, which is really an interesting detail. And you can, if you see on the map that you can go beyond it, you can go through a little part of the waterfall and find an area with some extra nice treasures. Just, yep. It's small, but it's a nice detail. And if enemies chase you into there, then you're pretty boxed in, so that was stupid. Why didn't you kill the enemies first? <laughs> it's also a funny place to abandon your teammates if they don't know about the waterfall, because they won't know yeah. where you are. <laughs> and Ruins 2 has the very long room where you first fight a Chaos Bringer, um, which is that's pretty interesting, mostly just because it's such a big space to work with, and with the faster enemies, it's more interesting there. And then Ruins 3... Um, there is a midway room, but the most interesting one is actually the one right before the boss teleporter. So there's a very long hallway leading up to it, and yeah. then it's a pretty wide room split down the middle with a little structure, and then we spawn on either side. 
once you kill enough, you'll access one. There'll be one treasure room you can go into with, like, probably the best stuff you're going to find in that game in terms of regular item drops. And then you go out and there'll be more enemies. You kill those and you can get to the second treasure room. And then it's the boss teleporter. And we discussed the boss arena, which is that really grassy area, which I guess if you go by the soundtrack is the place nearest to heaven. Yep. <laughs> which, uh, I mean, we discussed the aesthetics of that. Really nice, but secretly disturbing. Mm-hmm. And you go up to the monolith and the ground turns into screaming faces. And <laughs> you get assaulted by a ton of these tiny, just razor things. And you can only kill some of them. If they bump into you, which unlike any other enemy, if they bump into you, you get hurt. So that's pretty stressful. And then you kill them, and then the monolith explodes, and the boss appears, and he's huge. Yeah. I really love the design of Dark Falls. It's like, just so many layers of faces, and so many little details there. You can even see Rico in it. Yeah, in the chest. Uh, that's what happened to her, by the way. She yes. unlocked the hidden door to destruction and left a note behind saying, We're all doomed. I guess I'll do my best. And then she ends up as it. <laughs> Avatar of the Dark God. That battle, with first form, like, he's got a base, which is like these three heads, which spit out more of those razor enemies to call dark ones, but whatever. You never see it again. Uh, yeah, it's, it spits out that, he casts an attack which just rains lasers down from the heavens on you. You beat that form and the bottom half goes away and then he switches to a form where his bottom half is just an orb and he floats around. It's different but it's not that much more interesting. And on normal difficulty, you kill the boss here, you see Rico's iconic red ring drop, and that's it. If you play on hard and above, it does something incredible where you kill the second form and then a crazy angelic form ascends out of it and you fight a third form on like an astral plane. Yep. And this new boss music kicks in, which is really good. Like, it's really intense and it just it sets the mood perfectly. The boss is really awful if you're not a ranger. But the fight itself, I um, the setup and the surprise alone is fantastic. I don't think other games do that mm-hmm. nearly as well. Also, if you try and fight that form alone, you, it will probably just uh, kill you at some point. Yeah. Without yeah. you being able to do anything about it. I, I, I kind of hate the hell out of the boss. Yeah. So, we kept mentioning how some enemies are easy if you're a ranger. That's because most enemies don't have ranged attacks. And yeah, you can yeah. basically stun-lock everything. Yeah, uh-huh. it's a very yeah. safe way to play it. Though I, I think using the close-range weapons is more fun, for the most part. They are a bit stronger, like uh, how a number of setups would play in like challenge mode. You'd have like tech users who are like running on... They're running on fluids, so they have to... Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, like they they only get certain amounts of uses out of their big attacks, so they can't really uh, they can't spray everything, hose everything down and fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, the melee guys are going to deal good damage, but the ranged guys are still mostly going to want to try to uh, keep things stun locked so that the uh, hunter can take them down a bit better. Yeah, I'm not sure how later challenge mode levels play once 
more weapons start getting available. Yeah. But that's better guns get available, but <laughs> like uh Yeah. So I guess Challenge mode is a that one's really interesting, but I guess we should explain the game more in depth and how it works. And one thing which I have noticed from videos of people playing is there's sort of something about the system that's not very clear, especially for solo play, you know, where you just run up against an enemy and just sort of shove your face in them, they turn to attack you, there's nothing you can do. But actually there's a, a little thing which I have to imagine was put in on purpose. There's a delay after you do your first attack, and a delay after you do your third attack, there's less of one when you do your second attack, so what you do is two hits and then you break away and circle around. The way the combo system works is there's three inputs. Each input uh, gets more accurate, and there's three types of input you can do. There's the normal attack, which is just base damage, heavy attack, which has less accuracy and does more damage and pushes enemies back, which is very useful in some situations. And there's special attack, which weapons with a special property, it'll use that, that's the least accurate, but some of the effects are very interesting. In the early game, you can also do a lot more damage than you would with normal attacks. But the accuracy is probably the biggest sticking point if you want to play this game now. Yeah, action games where you can miss, even though you're very clearly hitting them, is always kind of awful. Yeah. Like, I tried to play uh, Morrowind once, once I first yeah. got my Xbox, and I was like, I don't know if this mud crab is taking damage or not. And then I got killed by the mud crab. Yeah. And this game, it's much more pronounced, because all the things we said about the sound design and the graphics being very, like, much more intense, is it makes the failure state of getting hit feel much worse, because you'll get hit, you'll get knocked back, you'll get taken out of your attack. If you get a critical hit, you'll fall to the ground. Yeah, I think the, like one of the getting hit noises kind of sounds like getting hit by a fish or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the if you get hit with the uh, Megan, which is the instant kill spell, you hear just like a guillotine slice noise. <laughs> Yeah, and like that was more of a special death animation where your character just sort of stops in their tracks, kind of gets woozy, and just falls backward. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, yeah. that also happens if you die from very minor damage, which is very embarrassing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, and that kind of starts to happen in some in some instances. Like if you have go into Dark Falls with high defense, then you run up to the Darvents, and instead of the Darvents smacking you to the ground, they chainsaw you to death because you <laughs> don't, uh, you, because you don't get the same amount of iframes as you do for getting knocked down yeah, like that. the way the invincibility works in this game actually creates something interesting. I suppose it's actually a design failure. Like, I got stuck on De Relay, the cave worm boss, and so I'm like, oh, okay, I'm gonna level up and come back, except at my level... If you got hit with his hardest-to-avoid attack, which is just like a barrage of energy bullets, you get knocked down, and then when you get up, you're invincible for a short time. I leveled up. I had enough defense that it didn't knock me down, so I got hit with all the bullets and I died. Which is why you should just learn to dodge things in this game instead of relying solely on... Like, you need to level up, unfortunately. Um, but it pays to learn how the enemies work. 
and then you do Dark Falls and Dark Falls third form, and he just hits you regardless of what you're doing. Oh, and there's nothing he kills can do. you. Yeah, yeah, like Dark, like uh, Dark Falls' final form is just riddled with HP checks, just mm-hmm. raw HP checks. Yep. Yeah, I think the like when he flies over to you and just smacks you. I think that's just uh, just flat damage that's almost unmitigatable. There's nothing you can do. It does a set amount of damage. And then when he flies up and ca- casts grants on everyone, uh, you usually aren't don't like. There's really no much of a use for light resistance. Well, that's the light attack in the game. That's the only yep. one. There's there is another one. Oh, they had that in episode four though. <laughs> no, oh no, I meant uh, that the. Uh, Grant oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Ah. So, but in the original version of Fantasy Star Online, which does, didn't have ultimate yeah. difficulty, that was the only attack it was for defending against. Um, uh huh. But yeah, in terms of the stats in this game, so we have resistance for every element, which it doesn't generally pay to build your character to be resistant to spells exclusively, because a lot of enemies do physical attacks anyway. Mm. Um, so you have stats, attack, power, which. That determines how much damage you do and also what close-range weapons you can equip. Attack accuracy, which is the hardest one to raise, even though you need to hit enemies. So they knew, and that was kind of a jerk move on Sonic Team's part. And you also need that to equip guns. Uh, there's mental strength, which is the magic damage and equip magic stuff stat. Oh, there's a defense stat, which that's what it is. Then there's also evasion, which is sort of what... The enemies have to check for hitting you, but it's much easier for them to hit you than for you to hit them constantly. Yep. So if you successfully quote-unquote evade an attack, your character blocks, which can actually be useful sometimes because it can cancel a lengthy like attack animation and you can attack faster. But usually it'll lead to you, if you can block everything, just blocking a lot of attacks and you need to just move out of the way so you can do anything. <laughs> Yeah, you just get stunlocked. You're you're being stunlocked even though you're not taking any damage. Yeah. Yep. In fact, that's the only way you can get stunlocked by not taking damage. Oh, and there's a a luck stat which doesn't help you find items, which I thought for the longest time. That's actually the hardest stat to raise, but it doesn't matter as much. But luck only determines your chance of doing a critical hit and of receiving a critical hit. Which, again, is much easier for the enemies to do than for you to do it. Yeah. That one doesn't raise at all with leveling up or um, feeding your little mag, which is a robot buddy, which is pretty much just a bag of stats. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I think uh, they were still kind of coming off. Everyone was still coming off of the Tamagotchi crazes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you can feed a mag items, and it has four statistics, which... When you equip it, they influence your stats, so you can raise its power and you'll do more damage, and its defense will increase your health and defense. Um, so raising a mag's dexterity stat is the fastest way to be able to gain more attack accuracy, and that's, again, the hardest thing to raise. Yeah, I think, like, where power and mind would give you two, you need to raise dex twice to get one. Yeah, if you raise one yeah. level, you get a half point of accuracy, which doesn't influence anything. Uh, but mags are... Yeah, so those are your stats. And then with the mag, it also has its own other stats besides the ones that improve your character. Um, there's IQ, which is just sort of how 
smart, like it kind of responds to situations with, so it can heal you, but if it has a low IQ, it's not going to do that. Um, but Synchro actually also determines the percentage of it wanting to do that. It's how much it likes you, which if you die, Synchro goes down. When it heals you, or it cannot even bring you back from the dead, it can cast Revive on you, that lowers the Synchro rate, so you do have to keep feeding it, even if it's at a level you like. Mm-hmm. And also it has an ability called Photon Blast, which I thought was really awesome in 2001. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of their answer to um, Final Fantasy summons, though thankfully not as long as those ended up getting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there aren't many cutscenes in the game, so... Yeah. And even then, like, with Photon Blast, once you get to the ruins, you start to kind of take a double take at everything... Things if you begin to notice, hey, uh, my photon blast kind of looks like a lot of the things here. Yeah, yeah, they have the similar like neon trails and things. Yeah, and they have different. I mean, they're mostly attacks. There's one that heals and one that buffs. Yeah, the twins were pretty great. That's the one most people like, recommend. It's kind of. Well, I mean, just not even that. Even even. Just them themselves, they're yeah. great. Like they're just kind of there, and then like kind of they kind of bonk their heads together the wrong way first. They get to fall over. Like oh 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 okay. Then they turn around and bonk the yeah. real way. And, and this is apply again, the buff. it's very quick, but it's got like they got a decent amount of character to them. Um, yeah. Nice. Also, they give you an ability to you can either give up your photon blast gauge, which you get by taking damage and very little by doing damage. Um, you can press a button to like give it up to whoever's doing it, and it'll power theirs up. Or, if you all have it, you can perform yours immediately after someone does theirs, and it'll chain them together and increase their effects. Mm-hmm. Which, if you do the twins, which is the buffing one, that's really powerful. Yeah, it gets really strong if you have it as part of a four-man chain. Yeah. In terms of the delays in the combo timing, like I said, you can use the shorten delay after your second attack to break away, but what they really want you to do is work with other people so that you can just mitigate the delays in your own attacks with someone else taking up the slack for you. Mm -hmm. I was kind of interested in how they managed to kind of incorporate the multiplayer into almost every aspect of the game. Like, because they did cutscenes in the form of uh, those little capsules... There was no point in a multiplayer session where everyone is forced to stop except for the photon blast, where even then they can contribute. Yeah. yeah. So if you're reading the story, you can just sit there and read it, and everyone else can still get to play. Yeah. And for this reason, even if you play in single player, you can't pause the game. Mm-hmm. So don't. If you need to get up to use the bathroom during the fight with Volopt, you're going to get stomped by giant pillars. Yeah. You just are. I just imagine someone just in the middle of the Heinel Dark Falls fight just like get up. Oh, I better go, and then like falls just like no, and he flies over to him and smacks him dead. <laughs> uh, that happened to me once when I was fighting Volop Form Two. Actually, my parents told me to stop playing. It's just like, can't you just pause it? And I couldn't explain to them that you couldn't because every other game I had, you could pause it. But they really wanted to watch TV. And then they just yeah. channel surf for a while because nothing was on. Yeah. Yep. Good job. <laughs> One of my other favorite things, though, some of the weapon types 
even rarer weapons start breaking down barriers of rules that you thought were established early on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Fred you... A, like, there's a rifle that fires like a shotgun, but you can use it as a hunter. And it's as fast as a handgun. <laughs> yeah, and people just... Yeah, I mean, that's like an extreme case of something that kind of yeah. broke everything <laughs> for a while. I don't know how that... If you have the spread needles, you will be very happy, and your team will be very upset with you. Because also the way this game works is, if you damage an enemy, then you'll get some experience when it dies. If you kill an enemy, you get a bigger share. Um, and if you have a weapon like the spread needle, you'll kill everything before anyone can touch it, and then they'll get no experience yep. points. My favorite thing at one point, like uh, when I was on one of the uh, private servers, is that like I found a... Uh, Tier four rifle, like not the final one, not laser. I found a beam, yeah. and it had the and I it was as a special weapon. And I unteched it, and it came out as a hell beam. <laughs> and so I just got the fun idea of just making a new character with a decent enough dex mag that could equip it, and then just start at level one and join people's games and try to make a game of killing everything before they can get to it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's um, one thing. The way the loot works in this game, it's not quite as randomized as Diablo or those other games. Weapons usually have just uh, a single prefix no, to has. them, and some of them are pretty boring. Like, oh, heat beam does a little fire damage, <laughs> then fire, then flame, then... Then burning. Beam, burning beam, burning saber. Yeah. Well... To be, uh, to be fair, though, like, a burning laser, or a burning, uh, what was the final handgun? Ray gun. Yeah, burning ray gun would be a uh, cast's only way of damaging Dark Falls' third form when it gets all shiny and invincible to everything. That's true. Then Tempest for Episode 2's final boss. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's elemental ones. There's ones that can drain an enemy's HP and give it to you. There's ones that drain uh, TP back for yep. casting yeah. Um There's also ones that give you a share of the experience for killing an enemy, but it's just from damaging them. There's also one that shoots money. Yes. Yep. Yeah. There's three different types that aren't really in tiers, but they have a... They'll drain one of your things to pull off another more damaging attack. So one drains your health, another drains your technique points, another drains your money. So if you have a lot of money, you can do a lot of damage. <laughs> that's a commentary on modern society. Yeah. Like the one that steal, that uh, refills your TP on the extra attack. That special attack was actually on like the base double saber, and from what I recall, it was pretty much, you need this if you want to play as like a Fomar. Yeah. yeah. It's very useful, because yep. it also saves you... The health-restoring ones can save you healing items, especially if you're an android and you can't use healing spells. And, yeah, items to refill your magic. The cost can sometimes add up, but if you can just drain technique points from enemies, then you'll be fine. Not yep. to mention the fact that uh, you only can carry so many of them, so once you're out, you're out. And now... So best of luck to you. back. Yeah. At least Newmans could at least very slowly regenerate it over time. Well, yeah, humans were considered <laughs> humans were considered balanced, so they didn't really get anything special. Um, 
Newman could stand around, and depending on how high their level is, their GP will automatically regenerate, but you do have to stand still, so you pay the price in boredom, I suppose. Or if it's one of the times when you don't need to pause the game and you can just walk away and you're safe, it's a good time to do it. And androids can't use spells, so in the original Dreamcast version, they could just see invisible minds. Um, yeah, yeah, traps. They all, they all got traps. Yeah. In the original version, they had that, but that was it. That was their concession, and they had like pretty good stat growth. But in later versions, they gave them traps, which were very... They're kind of interesting, because they do damage based on your level, or paralyze enemies, freeze them, depending on your level. Or confuse them. Yep. It's a soloer's best yep. friend. Make enemies confused, and they will attack each other, and early on, when they do way more damage than you do, um, that's very useful. Yeah. Not to mention confusing enemies that can spew midget everywhere, <laughs> so that they could one-shot their allies. That never worked for me. Aww. Yeah, that's another thing, though. Like, most of Episode 1 enemies had a fairly high enough resistance to Majid that no one really would bother with it. You would really wouldn't really want to bother with it too much. Yeah, that's what the Dark Resistance stat is for, by the way. It's a check to see whether you get instantly killed by the spell. If you don't, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. Episode 2, on the other hand... A lot of the problem enemies there can, are almost trivialized with Majid or Hell. Yeah. yeah. That's probably one of the more busted specials, is the Hell special. Um, that whole line of them. It starts off as like a nice novelty where like, you press the special attack button and 50 times you miss, and then one time you hit them, the enemy dies instantly. Then you get up to the Hell, which has a pretty high percentage of working, which I think is higher if you're an android. Um secretly they don't tell you yep. uh so and that will instantly kill enemies and you can't do it super flagrantly with most weapon combinations and if for weapons that hit multiple times or multiple targets it's actually reduced so you can't use like a shotgun or something and then just instantly kill a room full of people but then you get something like a hell beam yeah you get a long range weapon which you can target enemies that are outside of the range which will actually activate them to attack you and you can kill them instantly. Yeah. Rangers. Yeah, kinda. But they're so goddamn broken. Especially just like even early on, once you get mech guns, you are just kind of plowing through every room and no one really gets a chance. Yeah. Mech guns are very entertaining though because they fire three shots for every input you do. So nine. Yep. So if you can... They don't do a lot of damage, so if you get to like a higher difficulty, you can do zero damage to enemies in this game and not phase them. It's extremely possible. Yeah. Yeah, the thing with uh, mech guns there would be is just you want to push your, your attack power high enough to uh, be able to compensate for their lower for the lower attack power of the attack itself. Yeah, but with a heavy attack, since it does nine bullets, you can push enemies back pretty significantly. Oh, yeah. Later on, you start getting wep finding weird weapons that are equipable by people who shouldn't normally be able to use said weapons. I think some of my other favorites were, it's like the, uh, there's like a saber. Granted, everyone could use sabers, but uh, when you use its special attack to shot out a fireball instead. Oh, at least seen, yeah. 
Yeah, it just uses four. Yeah, and that one requires mental strength to equip, so androids can't use it. Yeah. Um, but, Sealed J-Sword. Uh, th- okay, we'll get to the really ridiculous stuff in just a second. But uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, there's the double saber which we mentioned, which is the Darth Maul double-ended sword, which is really neat. does like six hits, it's a really interesting attack pattern. Um, the dagger-type weapons also do it, but the double saber's just better in literally every yeah, so... way. I think it just has greater range. Yeah. Greater... And also has like a better radius for targeting enemies because you don't really man- 100% manually aim in this game. It's a weird mix of the two. You can be inches off and not have it auto-aim, but you can also like you get a lock on an enemy and you'll stick to them pretty well. And the double saber has a really wide range for acquiring enemies, so you won't miss as much. And since you move a lot when you do the combo... You can actually avoid attacks from behind by just continuing to attack. So that's interesting. There's a also they added paired swords, like a set of two separate swords. Yeah, uh, twin swords. Yeah, <laughs> even though the sword type weapon refers to the blades that you use to hit groups of enemies. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was gen- just generally settled upon like twin swords because yeah. like the double saber equivalent of that set was just like Musashi, then Yamato, and then I forget what the what the red one was. Yeah, the fire one. Wow, I can't remember whatever. No one I never saw anyone. Because uh, it's kinda hard to get. Know, right? Um But yeah, I mean we could talk about those for a long time. One more, the rocket knuckle. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you have like it's a it's a twin machine gun but it just fires that, uh, it's a it's a single shot. In the volley, is but uh, you just punch things to death. Yeah, from right yeah you, it just shoots two giant fists. Yeah. Speaking of which, yeah, if you want to fight things with like the hand-to-hand moves out, which isn't really that good for a lot of people, but there are like weapons that make you do the hand-to-hand animations that are pretty, that have yeah. a lot of attack power and are not super hard to get. But that's actually what we're going to discuss now because there's beating the bosses and stuff, but the main draw of Fantasy Star Online are the rare item drops. Here's the thing, they're not kidding when they say rare. It's not like, oh, you killed one guy and he didn't drop it, this is so rare. It's, you killed hundreds of these guys, thousands, and in version 1 and 2 of the game on the Dreamcast, tens of thousands of enemies, (laughs) and you've never gotten it. You've never seen it. Does it even exist? Who knows? In normal mode forest, getting a, a boomer claw or a boomer's right arm or whatever it was, was a, I think, one in a thousand and twenty-four chance, and that was considered a pretty good chance. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was really bad. Like, it, in most situations, the rare drop rate was like in 700s at least and then even in version 2 and blue burst it was like 25,000 for things like the sealed J sword yeah which is then not even that great and you have to kill a ton of enemies with it to make it into the sumikiri J sword which is actually good yeah it I think it was like 100,000 enemies you had to kill. Yeah, so you might as well look for another rare weapon while you're using it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and you might not find it. Oh, and gold and Mila? Oh, yeah. 
Because there are a lot of cool things, like there's some weapons where you have one of the rare ones, and then another one, and you can... There'll be like a use option in the item menu, and it will turn them into a new, like, paired weapon. Which is really cool, but one weapon might be sort of difficult to get, and one will be impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Gold had a couple drops for some section IDs, but like, Mila was basically only available to one section yeah. Oh, we didn't explain that, and oh, we should yeah. section IDs, yep. yeah. which plays <laughs> into the drop rates, so is actually a good time to bring it up. So when you create your character, you know, after you finish creating them, it'll say section ID, and it'll have a different color theme name, like Redria or Purple Mum. You think, oh, that's interesting, whatever that means. But what you've actually done is determine what kind of items will drop for you most often, and what kind of items you can get at all in some cases. And it's based on your name. <laughs> Thankfully, it counts spaces and like caps locks and things, so you can manipulate that if you don't want to actually change your name. Yeah, but that but you're doing it in the first place. Yeah. It's such yeah. a bizarre design decision. Like, it was, I guess it was made so that you'd have like a communal thing going, but it goes from yeah. a little bizarre to manipulate in the early versions. To in Blue Burst, it's also dependent on your character class, so the same name will give you a different ID for a different character class. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I can see the reasoning behind it. Like, there's incentive to team up with someone on a different section ID so you can both get things in each other's drop table. Yeah. My like, I played this game solo for a long time, but I eventually yeah. started looking up <laughs> guides. But if you are playing this solo, like, look up a guide and get a section ID for what you actually want to get. Like, it's not really spoilers yeah. in this case, because you can look up something you want and still potentially not see it in the game because of the drop rates. <laughs> yeah. I think a good indicator is really uh, that there is a log somewhere of what uh, of what tendencies of standard items a class will drop. Yeah. I mean, each one is better. Like, Purple Mum gets mech guns and... Widow gets slicers, which are like... They look like boomerangs, but they're just like ranged multi-hit weapons for hunters. Yellow Bows gets bling. Yeah. <laughs> Yellow Bows gets a lot of money, which sounds great early in the game, and then later in the game, when you can just have money by selling three armors you found on the ground. Not so much. Yeah, those will, those will easily be better than any amount of corn you find. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Meseta, which is the money in this game, looks like... Sharp corn. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then Pinkhole get, has a better chance for higher end uh, tech discs, which was how Technics leveled up in that in that game. You, well, I guess they just made it based on the drop rate, so you had to get a better level to drop of your attack. Yeah, this is sort of the soft, like most rare item in the game. Is the max level for a technique is thirty. Um, and finding level 30 technique discs is extremely rare, because they're not, they don't even appear from a certain enemy. They're 100% random. Mm -hmm. Even boxes. Yep. You can just break open yeah. a box in Ultimate and be like, oh, a level 30 technique disc. But I'm saying that, but that's probably not going to happen to you. I don't know anyone it's happened to. <laughs> like, you, you enter Forest 1 on Ultimate in one of the few rooms that is safe and has some boxes right there, you open it up and bam, level 30 Majid. 
Of course, <laughs> most characters could not equip level 30 Majid nope. because they, like, non-force classes had level caps on their spells. Yeah. Androids can't use them at all, but if you're not a force, then it limits the rate to which you can even use. And some spells you just can't use at all, again. Yeah, and it had a lot of influence in, like, what classes generally were better than others. Like, you're better off playing as Hunoral than a, uh, Hunuum, because, or a, ah, Humar, because they had a higher level of shift and demand. So they were just better, basically. Yeah, since shift and demand are the buff spells for attack and defense, and those boosts can end up bigger than just a class with a higher straight-up attack power. Oh, that's right. Some items are gender-specific. So if you want the second-level double saber, which is red, and it's called Stag Cutlery, you can only equip it if you're a man. And the description just says a popular double saber among men. I don't know why women can't equip it. There's literally no reason given, but you just can't. But if you're a girl, you can equip the angel harp, which is a rifle, so that's actually kind of nice for if you're a hunter or something. Um, but little angel feathers fly off of it when you shoot. For women. Uh, let's discuss quests really quick, because there's the main storyline, which you experience by just going into the dungeons, and in later versions, you do specific missions through the government, the principal character. And these are little mini-stories, and some of them actually do have like a running through line um, throughout the different quests. And they have different setups, someone will talk to you, and the town area will, almost for all of them, have some new NPCs you can talk to, which is a nice detail. Though they say things like, oh, Rakdin is greedy, but his son, ironically, is not greedy, which isn't irony! <laughs> This is just like, huh, funny. It's not really ironic. No one's like, oh, Rakdin's gonna have the greediest son ever. <laughs> Real estate guy. And then the, uh, for the maps aren't randomized in that case, because there's a few different layouts when you just normally go in. But they'll have a set pattern, there'll be some specific thing for you to do. I mean, it's still the same standard gameplay you kill stuff. Um, but there's dialogue and story portions. And the whole thing about stuff just for ladies reminded me of a really bad quest um, yeah. in the caves where someone's like, oh, I'm about to get married, but my, you know, I want to look good for my husband, but I use too many healing items and they make me fat. Oh, yep, and they have the NPC be like maxed out in weight. And mm -hmm. it's like, like I guess it shows off the range of the character creator, because yeah, she looks significantly different when you finish the quest, and like, immediately she's skinny, which is very strange, but... <laughs> I use too many healing items when I'm sliced up by monsters doing my job as a hunter, and that's no good for my husband. He'll never marry someone like me. Like, and how are they even making you gain weight? Robots eat them to heal themselves. Do they eat fats too, or something? Shouldn't they be closing up your like, grievous slashing and poison wounds? Also, you're generally, you know, running around a lot and yeah. killing things. That's exhausting work. Yeah. Yeah, you probably just fight it off, right? Also. 
If that's such a problem, she's not an android. Just use healing magic, you moron. <laughs> Does that make you gain weight too? I don't know. I thought the regular healing would have just healed you. I don't know. Maybe Bresta makes you gain weight. Yep. Uh, no, that's what happens when someone hacks the game so that Resta kills everyone in the room. <laughs> it just makes you die of cholesterol, like a clogged artery. Yeah. <laughs> just eating too much. Uh, you die of bonitis. So, that said, the hook of keeping her health high so that she doesn't heal is an okay idea. Um, it's kind of, and like, you know, different quests have stuff like that. Um, also, if your teammate dies, then you fail the quest, like, 100% of the time. There are other quests that are much better. And, I mean, some of them are just supposed to be funny, like, oh, these sisters that bake cakes are gone. And then you find out they're in the caves because the temperature is perfect to make cakes in the caves. And the humidity. Ew. I will say I hate every single quest that had you have to run through the entirety of the caves. Yeah. Which were multiple yeah. of them. Yeah. Surprisingly many. Sometimes they, like, thankfully started you at caves 2 or 3, but not generally. <laughs> we were talking about character creation too. And another thing about the different, uh, at least the different force classes, is that each one, pretty sure they never actually tell yeah. you this at creation, but yeah. each one boosts a different set of texts themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, the, both of the human uh, forces have double range on shift and D-band. Yeah, the support ones. The Fomar has just all the Gi spells and grants deal 1.3 times damage. Yeah. And the, um, Neural. The female Newman. Yeah, she all her basic spells do more damage, and then also when she casts uh, Majid or Megid or whatever, it pierces through enemies. Which you need a specific rare weapon to do with other characters, so in other words, you can't do it with other characters. Yep. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Void, Zombie, Barda, and Majid, 1.3 times damage. Well, that's sure helpful. <laughs> 1.3 times success rate on Majid. Yeah. Um, and then the foe, Noom, has raw spells boosted, which are the biggest ones. And Gee spells, uh, apparently. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing I guess we didn't explain about magic is there's the elemental versions, which are fire, ice, lightning, and then they have a second level, which has GI before it, so Gizande, Gifoy, or whatever. And then there's the raw level, which are the area effect ones that also do a ton of damage. And then they have healing, they have one that cures negative status effects. Oli Forces can use Reverser, which brings people back to life. There's a Ryuker, which... Creates a teleport. Yeah. Telepipe. Telepipes are the item used to get back to town instantly, which you can use pretty much everywhere, which is nice. Um, but if you don't want to carry those around. Yeah, like everyone. Like uh, even Diablo had those. Yeah, town portal. Um, this is that. Scrolls. Yeah. Um, but if you have Ryukri, then you can just use that if you have enough technique points. So that's one advantage of the Newman yep. is if you completely drain your TP, you can just stand around for a bit and regenerate. Get enough. To reuker your way back up to get uh, suck up on tri fluids. Yeah. We'll just hit the clinic. There's shifto, which increases your attack power. Dband increases your defense. Um, I also, I've, this might just be psychological, but I feel like having shift also increases your success, like your hit rate or stuff. Your accuracy. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure shift also affected accuracy, and Dband also affected evasion. Mm. Fair enough. While we were talking about character creation, I remembered one little detail. Uh, in the versions before, um, I think it was 
the Dreamcast version 1 and 2, there were button combinations you could input while you were in the character creator to unlock new costume You colors. had to type in a certain name uh, in uh, that name, yeah. and then it would create mm-hmm. change the colors. But luckily, then you could change your name after and still use the custom colors. Yep. Yeah, it was a strange thing to include. It was a nice I little touch. Later versions, they just had it unlocked. Yeah, yeah. they also added tons of new colors. Yeah. Which are pretty interesting. Some of them aren't just different colors, but, like, they're different outfits. Yeah. And, I mean, also when we mentioned uh, gender-specific equipment, the male characters have different animations for using certain weapons than female characters, and even then there's some that are unique. So, like, sabers, male characters have a faster animation. But with katanas, which are pretty much the same but have different animations, uh, female characters are faster. And if you're the... uh, Hukusil, which is the female android hunter, you have a different double saber animation and like daggers and hand to hand, which is like an interesting touch. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, if you don't know about it, you'll miss out. I remember Hugh Cassiel's, uh hand to hand was actually instead of punching things, they would do like a roundhouse kick. Yeah, this is kind of neat. Thing. Also, the best one uh, for the Raymar, which is the female human ranger. Which they added in um, the GameCube and Xbox versions. She fires handguns gangster style. Oh yeah, yeah. she's like step <laughs> side, turned to sideways. Uh, Fomars with a claw would uh, backhand enemies. <laughs> That's nice. Claws are otherwise not very useful. <laughs> yeah. The male Newman forces would. Uh, uh, well, the only male Newmans. They're walking, not running animation with canes had them use it actually as a walking implement. <laughs> yeah, because they had that, like, pimp style going oh, on. Oh, yeah. Photos <laughs> look yeah, like pimps. So, like, all of them, you either yeah. look like Zelda wizard boy or a pimp. Yep. Pimp style. They, all, uh, they had those, like, ridiculous uh, platform heels that were, like, Half the size of their legs. Yeah, unfortunately, like the fish aquarium shoes from I'm gonna get you suck on it in there, but the technology didn't exist yeah. yet. And uh, yeah, most other characters, like uh, the other forces, just have some variation of robes. The hunters have, you know, military techno garb. Uh, the Ray Marl, again, in addition to firing handguns sideways, which is awesome, she gets some cool berets. In some of her color combinations, yeah. or like their hairstyles, actually, you can set that separate. And the hunters are again not that exciting, though the Hukusil kind of looks like a ninja. But the uh, Hugh New World, it's a female Newman hunter, she has like punk styles, mm-hmm. which yeah, she was very eighties. Uh, yeah. yeah, the the entire game is like the future. From the perspective of someone from like the 1970s or 80s. Yeah. Very interesting retro future look. Not a ton of buttons on panels, though. Decent amount, but not like the Death Star level. Or maybe they can and the textures are just really muddy and old because it came out on the Dreamcast. Yeah. Love it. Uh, (laughs) There were a lot of problems with the game. I've brought up things like. The third form of Dark Fall is just being total nonsense. Mm-hmm. Just the mm-hmm. only way to not die was to have enough health, which meant you had to be high enough level, and for different classes, they had different health. So, 
some characters would, at the same level, would just be totally screwed in the boss fight. It's terrible. It, it's weird between the different versions, because I feel on the Dreamcast when I got to that boss, now, my brother and I also had a Game Shark already, so maybe we cheated before that point, before we experienced <laughs> it, but I felt like there were points, yeah. like, you could go back to the forest sooner upon leveling and, like, be killing things in one hit on the original version, and they sort of eased off the power curve, because version 2 on the Dreamcast and upwards, the max level was 100, or 200. Um, yeah. And I guess that's actually what we should discuss now are the various versions. We've done a lot of talking about forest caves, mines, even some ruins. We never really... Uh... Yeah. They'll be quicker, because they got lazier. So Kirby, uh, lead us up on, on the history. Sure. As was mentioned, there was a second version of the original game for the Dreamcast, which came out within a year of it. Uh, being released and added a lot of nice things like the uh, the quick equipment menu that you got from holding the right trigger and push, pushing the Y button, the player versus player modes and challenge mode, uh, lobby soccer, which yes. was a fun, and the uh, photon chairs. Uh, it also had ultimate difficulty, and they tried to prevent some of the absolutely rampant cheating and crashing of other people's dreamcasts that went on oh because in the dreamcast versions your character you played in the offline mode was stored on your memory card it was one character per memory card mm -hmm. and you, that's the same character you took online yeah. which meant you could use cheat devices at home extremely easily yeah yep. there were also things like some hacks that could straight up destroy your dreamcast or your memory card that was always great yeah. and they never really did anything about they tried, that but a little bit yeah. it's sega so shrug yeah. try is not enough <laughs> even in the original game the, the network data that was sent was actually just entirely plain text it wasn't even compressed or anything <laughs> so it was very easy to read and manipulate that was also when they introduced the subscription fee, uh, which was initially $15 for three months, which wasn't actually too bad compared to what you would pay for something like uh, EverQuest or World of Warcraft. Yeah, like that's like, works out to five bucks a month. Yeah. yeah. Where things today are like ten bucks. And this was actually, because the Dreamcast yeah. came out before the advent of like cable internet or anything, it really spread, so this was through 56k modem people had pretty good connection experiences with SegaNet when it worked, but that was 56k, but this game worked online, like this action-heavy game, which was pretty impressive at the time. Even more so in Europe, where the Dreamcasts came with a 36.6k <laughs> instead of the 56k. <laughs> Fantastic. You could notice some of the ways they got it to work, like in multiplayer, you would notice people attacking enemies that they when they're like halfway across the room so they didn't really yeah. like what one character was doing in an area wasn't exactly what you were seeing them doing yeah yeah it wasn't a whole lot of syncing except for bosses which i'm fine with though even in modern day it's still like on newer versions over you know faster internet, yeah it's, it's very bizarre looking it's kind of jarring mm -hmm. that version also got ported to the pc though it was only sold in Japan and Asia, but it still had English language support, so if you were playing it on an English version of Windows, it was just basically the same as the Dreamcast. And that actually played with the Dreamcast servers, if I remember right. The year after that, Sega had actually gone third-party, mainly due to 
uh, Okawa's death and the drying up of their funds, and they released uh, episode one and two for the GameCube, which was a really big change, adding uh, three new classes, being the Ramal, uh, Fomar, and Hukasil. A bunch of balanced stuff, rare uh, weapons having their own unique looks, which is a really yeah. nice change, and an entire four new areas with story and quests and monsters and bosses uh, to go along with well, them. Well, two entirely new areas with entirely new monsters. Yeah, there was, was a lot of reskinning. Yeah, which is the same thing they had on the Xbox, though you also needed an Xbox Live subscription and the subscription feed. Yeah. And if you wanted yeah. to play offline, you needed Xbox Live. <laughs> and if you had the GameCube version... Then you need to find one of the rare online accessories for the GameCube, which some people don't even think had online yeah. support, which is how minimal it was. Yeah, I ha- I have it. Even those were like they paired with your system or something. Hmm. Could have been just someone trying to bullshit me out of looking for one. <laughs> uh, those versions also brought in the uh, full player split screen, which was very very good. That's how I played. A large chunk of it. Like, the first time I played on the Dreamcast, I didn't really understand the game fully. Uh, but once yeah. I got the GameCube version, I, I was a little older. I was in high school by that point. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of you know, split screen. Which cuts out all the story elements, and you can't do quests. Also, you can't see the stats of your weapons. You can't. You have to switch the display. Yeah. It's yeah. very awkward, but I guess they had to fit it on... Especially... This is way before HD TVs became a thing, so mm-hmm. unless you just had a giant CRT like projection television or maybe a plasma screen TV, you know, it, it wasn't happening. Yeah, I yeah. remember playing uh, Fantasy Star Online ep- uh, episode one and two on like a little car television on family <laughs> trips. It was the best. Yeah, I remember hooking up the Xbox version and crowding around with two other friends and then a dinky little 34 centimeter TV and it was simultaneously the best and the worst thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the first time I tried that with my friends in high school, I hadn't seen episode two. So after we made my char- our characters, I'm like, oh man, I want to see episode two. And that is a terrible, <laughs> terrible idea for oh, me who yeah. hadn't seen it and for yeah. them who had never played Fantasy Star Online before. The GameCube version also got re-released uh, the next year as Episode 1 and 2 Plus, which was mainly just to plug an exploit that allowed you to use PSO to load GameCube ISOs over a network and play those instead. Yeah, if you wanted to pirate. Um, it's also very expensive. That same year had uh, Episode 3, which is an ent- entirely different game that you play with cards, using existing assets and that sort of thing. 2004 had the kind of last release of PSO, which was Blue Burst for Windows. It contained everything from Episode 1 and 2, part of a split screen, uh, as well as a, a new episode, which they dubbed as Episode 4. Yeah. Also, no offline play anymore. Just plug yeah. that hole. That was probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that had two new areas. Uh one new boss, the worst enemy Sega has ever thought of, um, <laughs> which we'll get to, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they also did redo all the textures, and they look really, really nice. Yeah. 
Yeah. Making it more MMO-y by adding uh, teams, which were kind of lackluster guilds. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's a, a misconception a lot of people have when I mention Fantasy Star Online. It's not a massive like multiplayer online game like World of Warcraft. There's a lobby section with yeah. a bunch of other players. You form a team of four people tops, and then you just go into areas and fight stuff. There's no yeah. world exploration or anything like that. It's more Diablo or Borderlands than Final mm-hmm. Fantasy XIV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess the closest analog these days would be Monster Hunter. Yeah, definitely yeah. a direct influence on Monster Hunter. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh, it also had the uh, hotbar using the number keys that you could put tax and items onto, which was quite yeah. nice. Yeah, anything to not have to fumble with the submenu. And it's actually, yeah. it actually lets you do one thing that even a lot of modern games with a gamepad support don't do, is you could still use the hotbar if you had a gamepad. Most games, since they have console versions, you get a separate interface mm. entirely where you can use do everything with a gamepad. But you still can't use the conveniences of a keyboard that's inevitably right in front of you in most cases anyway. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that PSO2 did, is that you can still use the hotbar yeah. with your controller. And also you need this only text chat, so you need the mm-hmm. keyboard to talk to your teammates at all. Well, there was also symbol chat, which oh. was the greatest thing ever. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and there was... In, uh, in... In-game, on-screen keyboard. <laughs> there was also the uh, the sentence builder. Sentence builder is how they got around the language barrier because it used preset phrases. So you'd say, like, looking for saber yeah. in forest, which is a pointless message to send to someone, but you can send it. Um, and it'll, <laughs> yep. since it's made of discrete chunks, they're pre-translated <laughs> for the local language, so they'll see it in German or Japanese or whatever. The problem with that was it really didn't take a sentence structure into our account. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why it's even yeah. bizarre in English. Yeah, you end up with stuff like, the Mesetta, can I have it, everybody? <laughs> uh, you can, like, then save an auto-word type thing oh, yeah. out, but there were certain ones that only were available in certain situations. Specifically, there was one in challenge mode that I believe was just, like, this extremely long block of wall of text that was just... A weapon doesn't have to have high numbers to be powerful. You have to examine the attributes to make sure it's still good there, too, or something like that. <laughs> and so what I had some friends of mine did is that we all just got one into challenge mode one day and saved that, that phrase to be something we can just pull up even outside of that. And we just went out into the lobby and blocked everyone's screens. Yeah, that's how, when people say something, that's how it appears. There's a little speech bubble from them. Yeah. Like, each one takes, easily took up like a quarter of the screen. <laughs> We're four of you. Okay, so me, simple chat. So, simple chat was basically, you had like a little box or you could choose like a box a circle a triangle or hexagon or something like that and then you could put little like things on it to make it into a face there were a lot of interesting things you could do with that yeah so you could just like make a little personalized faces with that would carry like customized sounds and things like that and just it was a fun little way to spam really ridiculous things to people. Because mm. most of the time, you were not using it for serious purposes. 
Like, the idea is just you could express a sort of emotion, like, sad, and then have, like, a potion. Like, oh, I'm out of potions, and I'm sad. Or you could use it to say, I have a volcano face. <laughs> Does that communicate an idea? Not really, but it's amusing. You can tell people what really grinds your gears. Yeah, I had some really weird ones going on just so I could spam them. <laughs> the default ones were interesting like that. There was one like really creepy looking face and it just said like, yes, good. Is <laughs> <laughs> there anything else about Blue Burst? Um, the new area sucked. Other than the fact that it got shut down. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. That's right. Uh, the first time I played Blue Burst was on an unofficial server, which is the strength, I, I guess you could say, of it is that you can still play it even though Sega has not supported it for ages. Yeah, so, uh, the GameCube and Dreamcast version servers died in 2007, and then Xbox and Blue Burst went down in 2008, which I kind of want to say was because Famous Star Universe's expansion came out in 2007, and they probably wanted to say, hey, go and play this, guys, it's better. <laughs> it, it didn't help that Blue Burst at that time on the English servers was so broken, it was basically unplayable for everyone. Yeah. Like, if you tried to log in, you it wouldn't even let you get close to it, and they, they had no interest in fixing it. Also, the Xbox version had Eternal Christmas, <laughs> so... It shut down when it did, probably only because they realized it was still running. Yeah, they found the server in a closet somewhere and they're like, oh wow, we forgot to turn this off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, that is one thing with playing online, is there's different holiday events. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's like Christmas, which will change some decorations in some areas, and it would replace the rare version of the rag rabbi enemy would be holiday themed and drop something different. But yeah, they uh, didn't really care for the Xbox version. <laughs> At least... Maybe 2007's Christmas, at the very least, was the one where it stopped. It just stopped. They forgot to turn it off. I mean, we could, someone could probably try to tell me that even, like, 2006 was still Christmas. <laughs> and, I mean, it's like, Sega of America really didn't care, or they didn't have the authority to do anything about it. So, it was just, like, the Japanese servers were decently moderated and generally would work fine but the English servers were always broken and like if you logged on if you played online you were guaranteed at some point you're either all your inventory would be deleted or all your characters would be deleted so it was not a good online experience to yeah. say the least yeah. at the very least if you disconnected if you just, like, turned off the console instead of exiting properly, like I did a lot early on. <laughs> yeah, they were like, no, and then goodbye, your items, and then I come on, and I was like, oh, my items. 
Yeah. Even without that, between like every iteration of PSO, there was just so much hacking, so many bugs. The game would just crash and delete mm-hmm. your characters, even like GameCube, Xbox, PC, mm-hmm. everything would do it. Somewhat <laughs> emblematic of a Dreamcast release, they didn't account for people's ill will <laughs> the design. <laughs> yep. The Dreamcast, oh, people won't pirate it, they'll buy it. No, they won't. <laughs> it's format extremely easy to pirate, no pirates. People won't hack, they mm-hmm. absolutely will. They won't hack to destroy other people's games yes they will <laughs> oh yeah and that, like if you were online basically if you ever traded with someone you were basically not playing legit because no one played yeah. legit like my ex- first experience in PSO Xbox was that I logged in and then this like level 160 dude just joins comes in just dumps a bunch of red boxes <laughs> onto the floor and says see ya and then leaves <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that was, that's an important distinction. In the Dreamcast version of Fantasy Star Online, rare items come in their regular item-type box. So it's orange for weapons, and blue for armor, green for items. And it's like, you know, kind of muted color palettes. In the GameCube and Onward versions, rare items showed up in a bright red box with thick white trim on it. Which everyone immediately ignored mm-hmm. any enemy when they saw one. They bolted yep. straight to the box. Yep. Yeah, uh, item drops are not instants for different players, so you see it, they see it, whoever gets it first. That's the law of the jungle. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Oh, but an important distinction is the original Dreamcast release of Fantasy Star Online came with another disc. It was a demo for Sonic Adventure 2. Yes. Where you got to play the City Escape level with the infamous song, but no lyrics yet. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I, my brother and I were very surprised when we bought... Sonic Adventure 2 and heard, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that explains more so of them using that song when they did the anniversary thing for PSO2, can you think of it? <laughs> um, yeah, that was one of my first experiences, I guess, was similar to next time, just creating a room. And, uh, I really didn't know what I was doing. Some uh, nice Japanese guy came in and dumped a bunch of red boxes and macetta all over the ground that he's pulled out of the bank and said, do you need any of these? <laughs> I sort of took a couple and didn't want to be too greedy, and I was like, oh, wow, thank you very much. And he's just like, yep, and just left without even picking them up. <laughs> <laughs> I remember getting on and just, like, getting a plus 255 <laughs> new cloth. <laughs> and it doesn't go that high, by the way, the plus this is... Yeah. yeah, and it was something like 200% against natives, so... Which is a native creature type, by the way. That could sound really insensitive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What we're talking yeah, oh about. god, yes. That's the enemies in the forest, and related. Yeah. That's what native Um, is. So, every attack with that, and especially a special attack, would do something like, like 20,000 damage to them, and, uh, that broke yeah, game. I'm surprised the game's damage readouts even support numbers that high, because that's impossible. <laughs> yeah, it was hilariously broken. I love it. Yeah, I don't think I had anything explicitly hacked like that beyond, like, over on Xbox land. They weren't, uh, I didn't recall seeing as many blatantly hacked things like that, besides there was, like, there were units... Their name was not any standard unit convention name. It was just Mag, oh. <laughs> and it gave you like oh yeah, it gave you maybe a quarter of the amount of attack power 
you could have before you capped the stat. <laughs> yeah. I remember I also got a, like, black Sato, which had, which was level 255 and just had ridiculous stats that made it able to, so, like, at level 30 I could equip Knee's Claw. <laughs> yeah. An interesting facet of the game, well, that actually ties into the hacking, is uh, there's some weapons you find where they, instead of having a prefix, they'll have, the names will be in blue and will have a bunch of question marks. And you take it to a character in the shop called a Tekker who identifies it for you. Additionally, if the weapon has special, like, a plus after it, or, you know, the prefix, you can actually change. And also percentages, which four are damage types against certain enemies, and there's a hidden fifth one that only shows up if you have it for hit, which is ridiculous. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can identify it, and you can keep trying, and he'll change the quality of the prefix and the percentages. But it became pretty common, like, once word of hacking got around, if someone tries to give you an unidentified item, you shouldn't take it. Because why would they mm. give it to you? <laughs> Another thing on the Xbox version was that uh, there was, like, uh, an item duplication glitch, which, like, involved you being able to regain control of your character, but uh, you were still in one of the shop menus... And then you can, then you just have to blindly guide your character out of the shop area and over to the bank so that you could get the bank and like the bank menu up, but then also be able to get your inventory up at the same time. And then I guess the idea was to drop an item in one step, like, cause you're controlling both menus with the same inputs. So you have to drop the item in one step. Then the next step, deposit in the bank. If you messed up and did it so that uh, both you were depo- dropping the item as you were depositing it, yeah, that 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 crashed your game. But uh, yeah, you, you could duplicate items that way. They patched it not too long after, like I started playing, but I discovered a way around it for myself because back when I played Mech Assault a whole lot. Uh, the, my Xbox started doing funny things where it wouldn't, well, it wouldn't load the match, the match half once we, once the lobby launched the game. So I just bought a new Xbox instead of getting, sending it in to get repaired. So I had two Xboxes and an Xbox memory card. So I was able to, uh, take my character, take the items I want to duplicate, transfer them to the memory card, go to a different TV with the, the other Xbox. And just play on a version of the game before it was patched, and <laughs> duplicate the items there, then transfer it all back. <laughs> it was hilariously, <laughs> extremely high effort. Retro gaming at its finest. <laughs> it was just so much effort, and it's not like I had anyone counting on me to do it. Yeah. Also a really popular hack at that time. So in Blue Burst, I think they removed it. They removed you dropping your equipped weapon and your Meseda on death. The GameCube version did too. Yeah. Yeah, and prior to that, if you died, you would drop your weapon and everyone in the room could pick it up. So they, some people made hacks so that the healing spell, Resta, would kill you. So they would just spam Resta to kill everyone in the room and then steal all their shit. Yeah. Pretty much. Yep. 
Alright, so, criticisms. I mean, we've been doing them all along. But, uh, sure. I mean, I get, this is not just to criticize, but how we could fix it. One, attack accuracy. Make it have the function of walk and be related to whether you get a critical hit. And take out the miss mechanic entirely. It doesn't really add yeah. anything that the maneuvering that you have to do to like physically dodge attacks mm-hmm. doesn't. I know in universe that you could get behind enemies and have 100% accuracy. Hmm, I never missed in universe. Is that a statistical thing? There, you? yeah, well, it's still a thing in universe because yeah. like mm, beasts were supposed to be so. the lower. <laughs> I remember in Fantasy Star. Too portable. It was impossible. It was possible for characters to have so much evasion that they basically couldn't ever be hit by a physical attack at all. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a definite. Okay, so yeah, that change definitely. <laughs> class balance is kind of a problem in Fantasy Star Online. Yeah, there were a lot of classes that just, but not just ranger and forest and hunter, but also some of the variants cast in general weren't quite as good as the other characters since shift and a band was so important to the game yeah they were but then later on you could even still find ways around that even like i think some of the uh challenge mode rewards would even let you apply a shift and d-band yeah. effect which i yeah. if i recall hmm. seeing somewhere in at least in version one in the dreamcast stuff uh, that version of Shift to D- and D-Band was like level 31 or something. Stronger than anything that was even possible. Yeah. So. I guess as a quick aside, um, challenge mode, it's been mentioned a couple times. There's a mode they added where you have you start areas they set level and equipment and just work with what you find and the goal is to beat the areas quickly. And if your combined time is low enough, then you'll get an S ranking, which earns you rewards, which are weapons... Which, through a bunch of miscellany, you can add whatever special effect you want onto it, and it won't be reduced if it's a multi-hit or, you know, multi-target weapon. And the grind thing, which is the um, plus after the weapon, which increases its damage, was pretty high for all of them, so you could add, like, 200 damage or more. And if I also recall, uh, if when you did or when you could name it, I think. Yeah, you can name it. Yeah. In some cases, uh, the S rank weapons were also uh, worthwhile. In some cases, like the S rank twin machine guns, if you un- left them ungrinded, but say attached the uh, EXP steal ability onto them, you could do really stupid things like tape down by a special Xbox controller that knows how to pulse the buttons <laughs> instead of just mashing it, uh, taping down those buttons for days and just go into seabed, find a room with a Rico box in it, clear out all the recons and all the other enemies, and just stand there with ungrinded S-Rank twin machine guns and go to town. And you could probably get to, like, level 150, 60 that way before you begin dealing one damage to the Rico box with the extra attack. <laughs> so let's talk about Hilarious bullshit enemies. Can we talk about episode two in general, really quick? Yeah. Quick overview. Sure. All right. So this was added in the GameCube and Xbox versions, mm-hmm. and the first two areas take the versus mode from version two, which is garbage. 
<laughs> but this game system's not made to fight other people. Nope. It's not a great experience yeah. at all. Uh, the PvP experience is match start, you just got hit by Zande and died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instant kill weapons? Yep. Those work on this difficulty. But, but <laughs> yeah, the idea here is just like, uh, like say Zande, you don't even need line of sight. You, they yeah, just, you just once you once you get in range of Zande, you can just start hitting them with it. Yeah, Zande is the only other way you can get a long range attack without a rifle. It's and it's comparable. Episode two, the science team finds an island. They get a transmission. Yeah, that leads them there. But for the lab to allow you to go to the island, they want you to undertake a VR test. And that means area recycling, because the first area, the VR temple, is one of the versus mode stages, and the second area, the VR spaceship, is the other versus mode stage. Yep. They did add some um, music so that there'd be, like, calm exploring music. Trick track is really good. Uh, I remember, like, the backside of the Xbox, like, on the uh, backside of the box, uh, there's just this picture of, like, a Ramar swinging a saber at Adele Saber in the spaceship, it's positioned just perfectly to almost look like they're interlocking their sabers in mm. a heated uh, <laughs> combat. But good old, <laughs> yeah. That was alright with you for using spaceship because I really really like spaceship. Yeah, oh, spaceship yeah. is cool. Yeah, yeah. Temple is blocks. Mm. Yeah, temple sucks. Yeah, it's it's really the music is. It's kind of, it's it's decent, but and it's like the uh, calm theme is especially pretty decent. Uh, it fits with the mood of the game um, more so. But they take the like verticality of the ruins and just punch you in the face with it. Yeah. <laughs> the traps also the surprise traps, lots of those. It's just gotcha the area. And then like mm-hmm. there's just places that you're just stuck in the walk animation because there's traps everywhere. Yeah, and then yep. on ultimate mode, it's filled with all lilies. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that's another thing we didn't explain. In version two of the Dreamcast added ultimate difficulty, which when you get to it, there's a few changes. First of all, um, Pioneer Two is no longer floating like outside of the atmosphere of uh, Regal. You're actually in there. There's clouds and stuff instead of stars. You're a little lower to the ground, which is interesting. And also the areas look different. There's a bit of a different design aesthetic to them. And the enemies, not all of them, but most of them are different to a pretty extensive degree in some cases. Like, the boomers in the forest were just like bare board things uh, with really ugly faces. There's the yep. three levels of boomers in regular, but in ultimate, it's a turtle, a bigger turtle, and then a praying mantis is the third level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, the thing I've mentioned about Mothness earlier that I never got to is on um, normal they die in very few hits they're almost instantly killed but on hard and above they take a lot of hits to kill and they do a lot of damage so suddenly they're nightmarish and this is really bad on ultimate yeah ultimate was well it was hard um. <laughs> <laughs> oh and stuff runs moves faster on the diff- higher difficulties and on ultimate everything just everything is in. a race car yeah, the animations yep. don't even make sense anymore for the walking, because everything's gliding across the floor at top speed to murder you. <laughs> you also have fewer invincibility frames. 
it was really neat how everything sort of changed like that. Yeah. And Forest was the probably the biggest one because it sort of goes into this weird, almost like infected orange sort of. Yeah, look. that's true. But uh, man, some of the enemies were just kind of as you could progress through difficulties and episodes. It's just like there's just this middle finger that's just slowly rising. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Like, and it really came out in Ultimate. It was just like. Yeah, that's what it impales you on the middle finger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the bosses uh, get changed. So the dragon tunnels underground a lot more, moves way faster, and has ice breath instead of fire, which can freeze you, which is the worst thing that can possibly happen. Yep. yep. Because you can still take damage and you have no invincibility when you're frozen. Um, mm-hmm. But then Daryl the worm, gets replaced with Dal Rawai, which he moves fast. Again, they all move faster. Um, but also, when he turns the lights off, he does this laser attack, which if you just sort of move parallel to him, it'll miss you because it sort of tracks where you were. This time, I don't know how it works on Ultimate. Sometimes <laughs> you get hit, sometimes you don't. Volop gets replaced with Volop version 2, which is the least creative name, but it's just harder. Yeah. Like, you could do things that would stop you from getting hit, and they won't really work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Dark Files is the same, but his instant kill spell will kill you if it hits you, so don't. So keep moving. Yeah. Episode 2, the first two areas uh, we mentioned, the VR temple and VR spaceship, have just a selection of enemies from episode one, just yep. spread out. Uh, yeah, it's just a grab bag of different enemies from different areas put together yeah. as one big happy family. Yeah, and this is a problem in the caves, but it's especially difficult with the mix of enemies on Ultimate, is that the lilies which spit poison, which is not a, that bad of a status effect, like your health drains and you have to deal with the sound effect, and also the lilies laugh at you when they poison you. Which yeah. Is just, oh yes, I love that little God. detail. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, but man, oh. it makes you so mad. Um, and if you're an android, you can't get poisoned. So then they laugh <laughs> at you, but you just keep shooting them in the face, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, on ultimate, the lilies spit the instant kill spell. All of them. So yeah. Suddenly, rooms where you just stood in in the middle and just shot them all and. They laughed at you, and you laughed it off as well. Uh, no, you're dead. Now it becomes <laughs> a deadly game of dodgeball. Yeah. I still laugh. <laughs> I mean, also, if you're within a certain range of them, they would, uh, and uh, after damaging them somewhat, some, they would, like, do this scream that would uh, paralyze you. That yeah. was the more annoying thing yep. on them. Yeah. Paralysis was annoying. It's not really bad because you can usually run away and you have to use an item um, or get healed or die to get rid of paralysis it lasted forever it was really annoying but that's what it was annoying dying is a bigger problem mm-hmm. i think maybe once they realize once they realize they of taking away a good chunk of the death penalty they decided now that there is not too much of a uh, holding us back from a player dying, let's just take the wheels out. <laughs> if they die, it's no big deal, so why not kill them as much as possible? Indeed. <laughs> yeah. And they did. The only problem with is that with bosses, if you died, uh, well, you get to restart the whole fight again. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you used yeah. up all your resources in a fight and you didn't win, 
Like, if you want to reset the areas, you can start a quest or leave and start over again. <laughs> uh, that'll reset the areas, but yeah, if you're out those resources, you're out. Yep. Especially bad if you've been saving up scape dolls, which are items that bring you back to life when you die. Those are used automatically, you can't opt out. So if you brought them all into a, f like, let's say the Dark Fowls battle, and you actually can't survive his attacks, uh, just quit the game, because you're not going to leave. <laughs> and you're going to use up all your scape dolls trying. So, I mean, there's, there's a micro-criticism there, but... Yeah, episode two, once you get to the other two areas, there's... The fun begins. Yeah. They're a little stretched out, but yep. they are interesting. The enemies there are mixed, are sort of combinations of enemies from episode one into one enemy. With a few, yeah. looks like a, like a, I think a little bit of some some new things. Oh no, oh, I think a good yeah. chunk of them are new. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they continue the thing from the first two areas where it's not just like this area is all robots and this area is all like altered beast enemies. There's a mix, so you'll be fighting like camouflaging ninja robots and then walking flower people and a bunch of like mountain apes yeah which have like the wolf logic but then they can also spit fireballs at you because the wolves will circle around you and try to jump at you when they're behind you uh, in the forest of episode one and these enemies work on a similar path and there's like an alpha version of them that if you kill them the other ones in episode one, they get sad and get weaker, but in this one, they get upset. Yeah. Uh huh. And then, like the first area, kind of had introduced some like mini bosses rather than like like some shorter areas with mini bosses first before the first major boss of the air of, of episode yeah. two. Yeah. Oh, those are really cool actually because the area darkens when they appear. So like, if you don't see them spawn in, then you know something's up. And like each of them. Each of the main types, like you have the once you're in the mountain area, you fight Gibbles. The big ape is named Gibbles. Yeah, and, and then the uh, giant flower one. Uh, I think that was that Mary Carol. Something like that. Yeah, it's the yeah. Pokemon name. But yeah, that one's giant. That one spawns in a pretty tight space, so that one is kind of unnerving, especially because you know it seems like it's a turret. It's a giant turret with slashing claws. It can move. It can run at you. <laughs> it's very upsetting. <laughs> That happens. <laughs> the coastal area has the geese, which kind of function just like the little candonine dudes, or how you pronounce that? Canid, yeah, the canadines. Yeah, from from the mines. Little swarm robots. Yeah, they either shoot you with like lightning after they lock onto you, and they also can sting you up close, which these enemies also do, just with yeah. stingers. And uh, so, like the coast area had uh, got, like geegu or something, yeah. which was just like a large bee that with a bazooka butt or something. Yep, yeah, I could launch a bomb at you, which yep. you might not see, which means you're just fighting it, and then you just explode. If you had the right uh, section ID, it'll drop his butt, and then you can get uh, Bazooka. Yep. Yep. They also changed up the bosses in the first two areas. Yeah. I don't think we mentioned that. Yeah. There was uh, Barbara Ray, which was just Dayrolet, except... Bright, yeah. It was brighter, faster, cuter. Yeah. He had friends. Yeah. His beam attack, though, uh, was way cooler sounding because it sounded like it was powered by angels or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was Gold Dragon. Mm, this is where the mistakes start, like in game design, before any difficulty is considered. <laughs> <laughs> so, in normal mode, 
Gold Dragon summons a duplicate of himself who has all the attacks that do the same amount of damage, but as far as I know, those duplicates don't take damage. They, you have to do a certain amount of damage to dispel them because they're sort of illusion yeah. clones. Yeah. But they don't directly affect the Gold Dragon? It doesn't damage the boss's health. It's just how much health it takes for them to dissipate. But they can still damage you, and it likes to inflict status effects, especially freeze, and half its attacks cover the entire area. So you're basically trying to figure out which one is the real gold dragon. Well, at the same time, the other one attacks you and kills you. Oh, you, you. want to kill the fake one anyway, because there's not you're not going to yeah. be able to manage mm-hmm. more than one. But if you try to kill the fake one... Once you killed it, sometimes it'll just get summoned right back immediately. So basically, it covers the... While you're attacking one, the other is attacking you. And you can't really dodge both of them meaningfully at the same time. And then, in very hard and ultimate, now instead of summoning one duplicate, it summons two of them. And basically resummons them instantly. Yeah, they looked at the spite and then thought, hmm, this isn't hard enough. What can we do? (laughs) In addition, the numbers get bigger and the boss moves faster on high difficulty still. That's not gone, that element. But they also did this because there's no penalty for dying. It's fine. It's fine. You try it again. You come back. And the boss had so much health already. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. yeah. And this, what's really unfortunate, too, is Gold Dragon's Arena is a really cool idea. Oh, yeah. yeah it's great. I, I loved how, to tell which one was the fake, you would look at the screens in the background, and the fake one would not appear on the screen. Yeah. It's like it was broadcasting you to somebody. I mean, I guess the lab staff is watching it, but I don't know why they need, like, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday going on. Yeah. That's what it looks like. <laughs> also, Gold Dragon, when he enters the boss arena, he comes out of a computer screen, too. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's interesting. Oh, yeah. Like, I think, really, the main setup from story-wise is that, uh, like, the data there was just sort of constructed partially with data taken from dragon encounters on Regal, but also with some sort of uh, legend of a dragon back from Coral. Yeah, so... Yeah, they just combined a bunch of dragons like, this is a good test. Yes. <laughs> Something that otherwise doesn't exist. Also, the VR angle falls apart because these enemies still drop rare items. Meaning the VR yeah. dragon drops a real, like, knuckle weapon that you might need very bad. Well, it's kind of <laughs> like they found... Yeah these things and they and there's just like some asshole behind a control panel and says, eh, they earned it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Then, yeah, when you move on to the island area, um, there's the sub-bosses which are pretty interesting. And then, well, after you do the sub-areas, the coast, the mountains, and the jungle? But yeah, once you clear those, uh, there's security locks in each section you deactivate, and then the big door in this central control area opens, and this is populated mostly by the robots you were fighting earlier. In fact, one type of ninja robot only appears in this area and has a 1 out of 20,000, 60,000-something drop rate for a handgun for rangers that can do Dark Falls' Heaven Punisher yeah. attack. 
but only at certain <laughs> yep. times. But, but yeah, it comes from this enemy, so you have to do those three areas unless you use a glitch in the old versions to get through the door. And yeah, that's your chance for getting this weapon. Uh, yeah, game design. <laughs> but uh, and this area is just like an obstacle course, pretty much. It's just a ton of traps and enemies. Uh, you break through that and you fight Galgriffin. It was just another reskin dragon. I love the uh, soundtrack for. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's going Galgriffin. into this discussion for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best songs in the game. Yeah. yeah that's it. The boss fight. It's interesting. It does some interesting things, but it's sort of just. It's also a very annoying fight. He has lots yeah. of area you have to have effect attacks, lots of stuff that you wouldn't need to take up to be aware of your all your surroundings. Yeah. I mean continuing mm-hmm. theme from Gold Dragon, it's an idea that's probably too good for both the way Fantasy Star Online works and Sonic Team's ability to execute it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like there's a dragon boss in um, Castlevania, Curse of Darkness on PS2. Which is kind of in a similar arena, but in that game, you can jump, so there's that, even if you're using close-range weapons. And you can, like, get on top of the dragon when it takes off to, like, do damage to it in the sky and things like that. A lot of other games that have you fight flying enemies give you that. In this case, there's not much you can do if you don't have a very good ranged weapon. Yeah. And then... (laughs) Seabed. Seabed is... (laughs) They. This is where they started trying to. It seems like they had a wrong idea of how the balance of the game played out, because being a hunter here is very difficult. Because the standard enemy's yeah. basic range attack, only the partisan has longer range. <laughs> Nothing else is outside of their reach, so you have to circle around them, or you have to use guns. Yep. Playing a close range character, no, you're not. Use guns. Oh yeah, like the 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 squid dudes, right? Yeah, Dolmon and Dolmon. Oh. Yeah, I think I I think when I did melee stuff, I would just run up on them anyway. Yeah, I mean you can do that with enough levels, you can survive anything in this game. Like uh, like I would run at them at an angle or something. I don't know. Oh wait, I remember slicers. Yeah, slicers. Well, those <laughs> are a ranged weapon. They're just more geared towards yeah. hunters. Yeah, I mean that's true, Pretty but. Nice. Again, different playstyle, and also they're kind of sluggish, which doesn't help with the tight quarters and the enemies with long reach. Again, you yeah. can't quite get away with from them as yeah. much. Yeah. And the, there are some interesting enemy ideas here. Uh, again, like the main enemies are in any area, it's sort of you can take it or leave it. But some of the side enemies here are pretty interesting. Like there's a charging enemy that's really pretty scary, but they don't throw too many of them. Yeah. At you. But he usually, when he spawns in, he's usually spawning in mid-charge yes. behind you. A theme they brought made even worse with an enemy in episode 4, which we'll get to, alright. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. I always just loved entering a room that was just silent, and then, like, you were like, he's coming, I know you're up, where, where is it? And then I'm like, show yourself, and then I, I get hit by a train. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you don't see an enemy like spawn in, then they might require you to like get close enough to trigger them. But if you don't see anything, it sort of zigzag, so there's a chance you're already moving out of the way when it appears. 
is the best <laughs> advice I can give for that kind of thing. Yeah. There's an enemy that uh, charges up and fires lasers at you, but won't attack if it's not on screen, which I'm not sure is even intentional, <laughs> but it's there. And uh, I think it also like has like a kind of a forward-facing shield when it's spamming its lasers too. Yeah, and the version of this Sinnoh like ninja robot enemies here. If they punch you, your weapon gets unequipped, and you have to re-equip it, which is, <laughs> I mean, it's not a terrible idea. It's an exercise in frustration. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and in terms of area design, like, this again has a lot of vertical, you'll, this is one of the few places where you go through a room, but you'll enter it from different directions, because the one entrance, you're on an upper walkway, and then you'd come into it from up in either side to get to the rest of the room. And again, you're going to need guns because the enemies on the lower or higher areas where you're not, um, namely the Rico boxes, uh, can still attack yeah. Well, they can spawn enemies that attack you. A re like, the Rico box could spawn ten recons, which also, like the like Darvins from Dark Falls, had uh, a buzzsaw effect that if you didn't get knocked down, you were going to die. Yeah, in a complete, like, step away from the idea that these are somehow rampant military robots, Recons, which pop out of Rico boxes, are cute little cat heads with a yep. buzzsaw that pops open out of their mouth made of photons. They're, like, uh, the head splits in two <laughs> laterally, and this buzzsaw comes out. Yeah, and they make cute little, like, whip noises. Military robots. Mm-hmm. Yep! Can you get a mag that looks like a Recon? I don't, think, I don't so. think so. Man. I mean, you can get the fox mag, and I'm sure there was a cat mag. I don't remember one, though. Mm. Why would you pick anything but hamburger? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you pick anything but master system? Excuse me, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> that is one thing we didn't mention about mags, but if, you, if they have certain stats when they level up, and if you have certain items you can give to them, then they'll turn into other forms. Um, it's it's sort of a meta game, like, high level in some cases like what stats they'll have and abilities but really I mean if you want it to look like a dreamcast is floating next to you healing you and bouncing happily when you feed it then that's you know that's an entirely aesthetic choice yeah. or a burger <laughs> yes or, or a burger yes the burger you must find the kit of hamburger though do it <laughs> um yeah so there's some interesting ideas, but again, it's just the enemies can be really frustrating. Is the problem? See, that is really, really long too. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's like it's only two areas, but they are very long areas. Yeah. And outside of like yeah. the interesting sort of wet floor, if I didn't like the music so much, I probably wouldn't have spent as much time. Yeah, there. music's good. Um, mm -hmm. but the yeah, there's like some wet floors in some areas. Like it, it does feel like a seabed area, and there's, like, some tunnels where you can see the water outside. But the design stays pretty consistent through the two areas. It's not that interesting, aesthetically. Another thing... I think they kind of might do it a little bit in the previous episode two areas, but quite apparent in Seabed is when they start spawning enemies in the hallways between rooms. Yep. Yeah. They do yeah. that in the VR temple occasionally, but that's, again, more of a gotcha there. But here... Here they yeah. they you get halfway th you uh you see that the other end of the hallway is locked and then you get to the other halfway through the hallway and Sinozo was spawned at both ends of the hallway. Yep. <laughs> so you see the one in front of you because you see its reflection maybe in the the, the window yeah. and you take care of it 
and then you get disarmed because of the guy behind you. Yeah. That is another cool idea. Even when the enemies use their stealth, they somehow have a reflection. I don't even know how that works, but they have a reflection in like, yeah, it's like water. I, maybe like just like a forward optical camouflage type thing. Like it's yeah, it's just concealing. It's, it's concealing itself from your perspective. Yeah, that's true. Um, in any case, it's a it's a cool gimmick, but it, they're still pretty frustrating to fight because they can also phase out and they'll generally teleport behind you. Yeah. And then by the time you get up, if they knock you down, they teleport it behind you again. Bring a friend. It's... Yeah, definitely. For episode two, don't solo it. Don't solo it. You can, and I have. Uh, but you need to grind so many levels elsewhere to do it that... Or you get a hell weapon, because everything that presents a problem in Seabed is hilariously weak to Majid. Yeah, dark attacks. They have really low dark resistance. That's something weird that they... Again, this is an advantage rangers have in this episode, needlessly, but there you go. I mean, there are close-range hell weapons, but that's fewer shots, because the animations are a little longer, and you have to put yourself at risk anyway to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're on a melee guy who isn't uh, as... doesn't have... sometimes probably doesn't have as much accuracy as a ranger. Yeah, and also, I mean, if you're not... if yeah. you do a hell attack and it fails... You just miss, so you can't stun the enemies and you don't harm them. Honestly, in those cases, it's good to have a weapon with the uh, Devils or Demons special, which cut down enemies' HP by fraction. That That's more effective, and you're going to need it anyway for later. And, like, and also, instant kill weapons and help subtracting or cutting weapons don't work on bosses. So, you know, as hilarious as it would be yeah. to get to the next yeah. boss and instantly kill him. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess they are. We should just discuss that now. And yeah, at the end of uh, oh, at the end of the seabed, you got the end the end boss of episode two, Olga Flo, Who the backstory is there's another legendary warrior on Pioneer One named Heathcliff Flowing, who also fought Dark Balls, was infected with the parasitic gene from fighting it. but escaped. What had happened was the scientists in the seabed were messing around with D-cells. Like, like they were still maybe around just a little bit after explosion or something, like, long enough to see what happened with Voloft, and like, oh, let's do that! Yep. (laughs) That sounds, looks like a good idea of something to try. So they took it and, like, and like applied D cells to their their main computer, Olga. I guess they decided just to take their resident legendary uh, hero and just like jam him into it or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yep. Don't ask me. Japanese RPG mad science involves smashing two things together <laughs> until they become a giant murder beast. Yeah. Um, who kills all the scientists? Um, with the help of the infected AI as well. Um, hmm. So the first phase of this final boss fight is a really cool idea. Like this is one case where I think they made it look cool, but it didn't actually influence the rhythm of the fight as much. Because Galgar from flying around looks really cool, but you can't do anything a lot of the time without a certain yeah. yeah. Olaflow is sort of spiraling around the elevator shaft that you're on, which is just speeding downwards. And uh, he sort of strikes at you from there. He'll shoot at you from the walls, or he'll stab at you through the ground. Like you're going down the elevator, and he's just falling, all free falling alongside. 
Yeah, controlling his descent. So this is a neat fight, and it's also kind of interesting. Like the um, his spread shot weapon is kind of like your own shot weapon. So he has sort of infected, grown in versions of weapons on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you defeat this form, and you end up at the bottom of the elevator shaft, at the absolute bottom of the seabed, and sort of reminiscent of episode one, you see his body and like a little glowy thing. Is that his mag or something? Probably like maybe soul or something. I don't know. Yeah, but in any case, you can sort of walk around this area for a bit and like uh, you can like trigger the boss by walking up to it. And then it's when you fight his second form, which is kind of a confusing fight. Like I've beaten it a few times, but I haven't always really understood what was going on. Mm-hmm. I know he has abilities just like uh, Dark Falls third form where he possesses a character so damaging him damages them instead which lets you kill your own teammates by the way and if it's faster then they'll just let you die if they're jerks so because you can still he still takes damage during this form uh, but you just also do yeah and your characters are built to do damage to enemies with a lot more HP than you have Um, Mm hmm So when you take your own attacks on, another reason why versus mode is so badly balanced is you die really quickly. He also summons, I guess when I said I was wondering why it was his mag, is because he sort of summons infected giant mags. Yeah, he summons Gal and Gale. Yeah. They kind of either go up by his shoulders like a a normal mag, or they'll start to come down to the ground. And they, I believe they do types of buffs to them while they're floating around on the ground yeah. and you gotta kill them so they'll stop and I think they also start like throwing mines everywhere too yeah so some good ideas but um, this fight's not nearly as memorable even if it's maybe a little better balanced than Dark Files 1-3 it's not it, it's just weird because he's so big he's really tall and the camera doesn't yeah. really afford you a way to yeah. appreciate the scale difference I mean, uh-huh. the elevator shaft, he was flying, like, his entire body length past you, so you could see it. Not to mention the fact that while he was falling there, his little cagey bottom half is a bit smaller than the legs he sprouts once he enters the second yeah. floor. And so that's like, mm-hmm. he becomes even bigger and even harder to see in that way. If you beat him, there's, like, an interesting uh, Easter egg where you can come back to the arena, and I forgot, there's certain requirements that have to be met. I believe you needed a red or blue weapon equipped. Yeah, the, well, one of the specific weapons related to Rico or Floen. And you can see their ghosts here. It's not much, but it's a nice touch, again. If you want to see them in their normal form, just standing. If you walk up to them, they vanish, but there they are. That's episode two. Also, what's interesting is in episode one, like, um, because Rico is the daughter of the principal on board uh, Pioneer 2, and after you beat the game in the older version, they had credit rolls after that. Um, yeah, you see a still shot of him crying. Uh huh. Once someone broke the news <laughs> to him that his daughter became the embodiment of evil and then you killed her. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the music at that point actually does, like, kind of have some like little sadder tones to it yeah well it's got it's got lyrics and stuff too that are pretty sad and then once that part gets like fades out then it turns this really like pumped up like orchestral thing which is cool but it's sort of like i was just i mean yeah i guess you don't want me to feel crappy about beating the game 
<laughs> all right, I'm over it. Yeah, when you kill uh, Overflow, when it, it starts playing, uh, what's the name of that ending theme? Well, with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that opening sort of uh, wind work is really melancholy and sort of bittersweet and really suits the tone of that perfectly. Yeah, I mean, when we were talking about the atmosphere earlier, like, it's dark and it's sort of not really cut with happiness, it's cut with really sad, depressing outcomes for all these people. There's even a Mm. a theme for quests you finish when the outcome isn't very happy, that when you warp back to town it plays like a sad string piece instead of (laughs) the regular town music. And you, before you turn in the quest, you have to talk to the quest giver, who's usually pretty broken up about whatever happens. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they don't change that for episode two. And it's not as great of a conclusion, but it's, you know, it's interesting. And then we get to episode four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh boy. The areas in episode mm. four are, there's... Let's see, four sub-areas for the first one, and two for the second. The first area is called Crater. It's an above-ground desert. The second area is the underground desert. It's an underground desert. Yeah. Also, the enemies in the areas, there's some unique ones, but a lot of repeats. I don't think there were even any any unique area enemies in the... I mean, there was the giant version of using the Boomba Skeleton, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, the Dominion-like guys. Ah, yeah. Okay. You have the, like, you have the two one, normal ones, but then the but then the boss of them is actually, like, five times the size. Yeah, so that's what's interesting yep. is the, uh... Well, it's really crappy, but okay, the design-wise, the, the default enemies in the underground desert look sort of like the enemies in the ruins. Um, and the two versions is the Goron and the Pyrogoron, which are just, it's the regular one and then the slightly big one. And then the Goron Detonator, which is comparable to Overflow in size. Yeah. yeah. Except you can see it because, you know, it spawns in and the, there's really high ceilings in the rooms where it spawns. I assume the high ceilings were made to accommodate this because it's the tallest enemy. And that's the third level basic enemy, which is cool. Here's what's terrible about episode 4. Yeah, I realized rangers were overpowered and came up with multiple all-bad solutions oh, yes. to make rangers bad against them. Satellite lizards! <laughs> so, satellite lizards, let's talk about them for a sec. So, satellite lizards, you could shoot them once, and afterwards... Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure you could shoot them once. If you shot them, they would turn invisible and they would take no damage. Mm. So you could not use ranged attacks against them at all. Just flat out, no ranged attacks whatsoever. So, uh, basically, if you were a ranger, you could not finish episode 4 by yourself. Yeah. Oh no, you just equip a hunter weapon, you know. And do yeah. way less damage than a hunter. And if you're high yeah. enough level to actually do episode 4, then your basic attack shouldn't be missing that often. Or you're doomed. In fact, even <laughs> if you're at a high enough level to do difficulties like, say, ultimate on episode 1, normal's still going to be a problem just because enemies have tons of HP and do damage you can't avoid. That yep. knocks you down. Like, it's a property of the attack that it knocks you down. 
So you always lose time getting knocked down. I think satellite lizards would actually poison you if you were close range to them as well. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't so bad because they otherwise weren't that aggressive. They move really slowly. and They had the wolf AI, yeah. so they wouldn't attack you unless they were behind you anyway. Yeah. So it's not yeah. like they were a big problem. Yeah, the big problem is everything else. <laughs> zoo. Yeah. The zoo zoo! <laughs> yeah, the Call zoo is a, is a bird enemy. Which can shoot <laughs> lasers at you that, you know, do pretty decent damage and is fast. And then it can fly at you. Um, it'll dash straight at you, which if it hits you, it knocks you down. If it misses you, it'll start spinning in circles, which the controls in this game aren't really suited for spinning in circles. If it hits you during this, you also get knocked down and take a lot of damage. So, and if it goes down to ground level, it'll fire like a spread shot of fireballs. Astarks? Which have the Hilda yeah. Bear AI, where they'll jump at you from long range and punch you when you're close. Except their punches also fire little punch waves. So even if you're not close, they can still hit you with punch waves. And if they get mad, then they'll buff themselves. <laughs> Who's the least angry yeah. about this and wants to take it? <laughs> Such a bad decision. I forget the name of the enemy in specific, but it it's like this giant bull enemy that if it rams you you are instantly killed in most situations even if like i was doing it when i was in very hard mode in episode one and two and yeah it one shot me and normal mode the door farm that's what it is yeah the door farm you also notice the enemy names are getting increasingly abstract and of course, yeah. when they spawned in, they would immediately rush. Yeah, they spawn mid charge, but even though you're in wide open deserts, I found I got hit by them charging in. Inevitably, there was nothing I could do compared to the seabed where they might miss me because they were smaller. Yeah. These things are trucks. Yeah, they also seem to just come in, like, right behind mm. you. So, ugh. God, those things They even make tire screeching noises when they slow down, like they're a truck. <laughs> or something like a truck, but a truck. Um, they can fire lasers out of their mouths, they He's can back. just stamp He's the coming ground. For you. <laughs> they can stamp the ground when you're close by them, they can roar at you too, um, and they have a ton of health. Just scans yeah. of health. If you don't have a HP cutting weapon, even if you're ready for higher difficulties in episode 1 and 2, even on normal, it's gonna take some time. Like, killing these things in yep. one hit is a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, we should mention the one good enemy, Sand Rappies. Yes! Have little drills! Yeah, they brought them back, and instead of penguin beaks, they have little drill beaks, which sounds horrifying, but it's still cute, somehow. Uh-huh. And so we didn't mention the, the cute thing about the Rappy-type enemies is when you take all their HP away, they don't die they fall to the ground they don't like sink in or like turn to blood puddles yeah. or anything um and either after a while or if you're far enough away from them or you're sort of far but you're doing something else they'll peek around really quick and then get up and run off so you never <laughs> kill a rabbi or if but then even then you can like still hit them one more time yeah oh that's when you have to hit them if you want to get their item yeah running off like that it's cute but then from there, then they like are invincible, and they just keep running yeah. away. Yeah, they just sort of slide on the ground comically for a while and get back up. 
And our ultimate difficulty, the ones in the forest in episode one, can be huge. Oh, I think... <laughs> yep. I forget if that was a glitch or if it, that was... Uh... No, I mean, it only happens on ultimate. Um, but yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, they're just randomly huge. It makes no difference. Mm-hmm. But they're huge. Yeah, sand rabbits, they work the same way, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. Though that, yeah, all the rabbits, the zoos, and the dorfons have a rare form. The sand rabbits turn into del rabbits, which are no longer cute because they're just like a combination of all the dark enemy designs shoved into yeah. a rag rabbit. <laughs> Though they still make squeak noises, which is really bizarre. Um, and they still do the cute look around thing when they get up. <laughs> oh, I think. Oh yeah, uh, they also did another dick move it somewhere, where in like one of the episode four story missions, mm-hmm. you enter a room and a cutscene happens and it spawns some enemies, but uh, an NPC's like, "Oh, don't worry, I got this. You leave and I'll take care of them." And they shove you out of the door of the room and seal it behind you. Mm-hmm. One of the enemies in that mob is always a Delrappy. <laughs> then you can't fight it for its. Yes. Like, people just thought, saw it and thought they just had the most terrible luck ever. But no, no, they're just being assholes. Yeah. And also, with those, what's going to be frustrating is when NPC dialogue happens, it sort of, like, grabs your camera and controls sometimes. Or, like, usually it does that. Sometimes it can happen when you're running around, but usually they grab it. I think uh, the episode 4 story stuff had had a bit more... A lot uh, of controlled, cut yeah. controlled cutscenes. And even where... for episode one, they yeah. sort of redid stuff to have more of a cutscene camera to it. Yeah. But, yeah, sometimes you'll kill a rapi as the last enemy, and then the guy, the NPC will start talking to you, which is one of the behaviors that makes the rapis get up earlier. So someone's just flapping their jaw at you, and then the thing gets up within view of your camera and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awful. The, there was the, uh, the quest where you have to find the guy who's trying to study rappies. Ah, yeah. And he's dressed at the. Yeah. He's dressed up as a rappie, so you have to find the rappie that's actually a dude. Yeah. I mean, I guess we can also jump back into quest discussion in a little bit. But yeah. So the zoos turn into pazuzus, uh, which are just worse. The <laughs> same way worse than they have horns. And then the dorfons turn into dorfon eclairs. That's not like, I'm not saying they look like donuts. That's what they're, they're called. They're, they're not filled with, uh, yeah. cream. No. No, they're just filled with murder and hate. <laughs> yeah. So, did you think it had a lot of help before? Oh, this has more. You also thought its mouth laser was annoying? Well, now it's that it casts grants, which you can't dodge. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm just, I had to laugh at that. Yeah. Oh no, it's yeah. it's hilarious in a terrible way. I mean, normally when rare enemies show up, like they're a bigger risk. Like the rare Hilda Bears on Ultimate Forest can spit Megat at you instead of fireballs. Which can suck, but the Hilda Blues on normal through very hard can freeze you, I think. Yeah, but I mean that's yep. I mean that's not super common. You shouldn't be engaging them in that specific range ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just bad because you'd like it to get punched too at that rate. But yeah, when these rare enemies show up, it's like they drop. There's some really good items in episode four, like really, really good. Um, hmm. But you have to deal with these, and I understand wanting to make them like a challenge. But these are enemies that, by in their default state, are way too difficult and not fun to fight. Yeah. Except the Del Rappies. <laughs> yeah. 
because they didn't screw it up in any way. It's just the same thing again, which I can't you can't give them credit for. <laughs> yeah. There's no boss to the crater. Nope. It's nope. just a bunch of desert areas and it spams dwarf arms yeah. on you, but so worse than a boss, a very badly designed hard <laughs> encounter. And then you get to the desert. And the default enemies there have an even worse counter against rangers. I love it because it made me think of like, it was like the ring or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Garans, when you shoot them, teleport closer to you. And if you shoot them again, they teleport even closer. And remember how we said that the enemies in the the Dolmolms and Dolmdarls in episode 2 in the seabed had long-range attacks that were longer than most of your basic hunter weapons. These enemies also have that! They have it, but yeah. they have it in the most hilariously dumb way. Yeah, you can't see it until they attack you. They, they use the Vuma archetype, like skeletal system and stuff, but when they attack you, they stop just short of what you would normally expect a Vuma archetype to stop to attack you, and then they start to swing and they get stretchy arms that kill you, and it's... Uh, like, but my first experience, I was just laughing when I first saw that. Yeah, the giant <laughs> laser arms. Which, uh, and remember how we said that the third version of it's huge? Yep. That also gets huge. So they can hit you from halfway across the room. Yeah. So again, these yep. are the yeah. default enemies you'll find in pretty much every room of the underground desert. Mm -hmm. Let that set the tone for you. Welcome to hell. Yeah. It's not even as far underground as the seabed, but it's hell. There's Marissas here, which are kind of funny because they're just like eyeballs on stalks, kind of, with some stabby tentacle arms. Um, and they have a rare form, which is just a different color, and literally that's it. But they attack by body slamming you, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Though they're hard to fight. And there's more rappies here, they repeat, the zoos come back. Flying underground. And then they introduce the worst enemy ever. I love this enemy. I'm just going to leave this one to you, because I've only fought it a couple times. Well, I've only fought it once. It's just hilarious to fight, because it counters everything. Like, during certain attacks, certain, some of its parts aren't targetable. It can attack you from across the room, and it has pretty brutal melee attacks as well. Yeah. It's called Gear to Blue. Mm -hmm. It's like a flower, sort of. It's a, like a decellular reskin type enemy of the uh, flower mini boss from episode two. Yeah. Episode two. <laughs> um, wow, and yeah. If you want to stay far away, you also can't because it can suck you in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it drags you in and then melees you. I think it also can inflict stats. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Paralyze and confusion. Yeah, it basically does everything, and you die. Congrats. Yeah, it's, it's probably single worst PSO enemy. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think I probably was only that deep in the uh, desert area once, and it was just like, uh, the people I was with were like very well-geared and stuff. 
and like I, we're walking through like this one room down there, and I just see it on the other side of the room, and everyone's just going to the next room. I was like, uh, hey, what's this on the other side of the room? And they're just like, it's nothing. Leave. <laughs> Were you able to successfully leave, or did it pull you in with its vacuum powers? It was like there. It was like I think there's like a room in the uh, second in in that area that's like yeah, it's the winding, twisting room. Lots of holes and stuff. So it, there wasn't a direct line between me and it. I will say, the design of the underground desert, and even the craters, are really cool level designs. I love the hell out of them. It's just that it wears out its welcome so heavily, so easily. Yeah. Mm. Like, I like the idea of circling around the crater when you first get to it, and you're, like, kind of just clearing areas, moving on to the next rim of the crater and going through that for crater 2 in the underground desert it's kind of crazy there's lots of different types of rooms yeah yeah there was the twisting room which is basically at the center and then you you kind of clear each branch to get to the next part of the, the center room until you get to the very end and that's where they spawn that flower mm-hmm. In the last area, there's rooms filled with, like, really pretty crystals. There's sand pits, which, if you fall down, um, takes you back to another area. They have, like, lava rooms with fireballs popping up, and just all these different room types in a single level. They found a way to incorporate traps without making them mines that pop up out of the ground out of nowhere. Or little turrets. Mm-hmm. It's a little more... It feels more natural, environmental. Yeah. Also, the rim of the sand pit, of course, is like a hundred confused traps. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. 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 Getting confused in this game makes you just run in random directions. Though, interestingly, while you're confused, it's the only way to change your direction after you've attacked. Is if you're confused, you'll just randomly spin in another direction when you do your second and third hits. So if you're surrounded, it's actually not that bad. Weirdly, unless you want to get away from the enemies, which you probably do. Yeah, then that's impossible. Like, you push forward, and then you go in every direction. Yeah. Yeah, use a soul atomizer to cure your confusion. And then we get to the boss, which can also, in a series first, there's a rare version of it. Hmm. And there's also a story yeah, version. Yeah, there's a certain of it. quest chain where you can fight a different version of this boss, or the rare version, um, and they're different colors. Yeah, they're different colors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, <laughs> this boss I fought also, and I had no idea what was going on. I just attacked whatever was in front of me. <laughs> so basically, I-, I couldn't get very far because with two people even geared for very hard mode, the normal version of that boss will just wipe you out without a second thought. Yeah. yeah. But basically, you're going for the crystal on its tail, and then there's all sorts of other crystal weak points you can fight, so you're basically breaking the crystals around its tail until you get a chance to attack yeah. him. Shamburton, which has... Not a lot of like interesting 
Like, there is story elements surrounding it, but it's not, like, it's not a person. Yeah. There's no, like, emotional state. Just, it's more akin to, like, Derole than Falls. Yeah, it is a cool yeah. too. It, <laughs> I, I will say it has probably the best boss theme in the series outside of the episode 3 boss theme, last boss theme. It's a very cinematic boss, too. Yeah, like, that's true. It, it kind of, uh, almost feels like a prototype of PSO2 bosses. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even though then they still went through PSU. Well, Well, I don't think I don't think no one's perfect really gives an idea of how bad PSU was. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. There's no well, yeah. But also somewhat bizarrely, the plot of episode four sets up a lot of elements for Fantasy Strongline episode three on the GameCube. To sort of explain, yep. like, yeah. oh, we could compress things into cards, maybe. Which is not, like, a thought people have, I don't think. <laughs> I was like, oh, a Puma, I want to put it on a card. Why? Well, I think that was more, like, of the uh, one faction's thing, who were the more naturalisty people. Yeah. Well, I mean, even other people, it's like, yeah. well, I want to put this saber on a card, like, just hold it. Well, it's, a it's like storage. I guess. I mean, you can carry, like, 50 swords in your inventory if you want. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, there were storage limitations in Fantasy Star Online, but I would not use them to create a single-use saber. So, I don't know. I mean, it was, a, it was a craze of a time. That's why it yeah. did it. But it's weird that they decided to make the story justify it after the fact. <laughs> so it was pretty neat how they sort of uh, wrote in the idea that you know, oh yeah, I hope a whole bunch of people have killed Dark Fells and Flow a bunch of times. Yeah, that's that was an interesting thing, to, like sort of concession to how it's played. And yeah. mm. the plot in Blue Burst has a lot more importance, and even I mean, there's more cutscene stuff in the GameCube version. Um, like the very last quest you get in Episode One uh, from the Depths in the Dreamcast version, there's not like any camera work, so there's build up to it. Because you have to finish every other quest, and it's done per area, and uh, you have to complete the other ones. But you complete all the ruins quests, and then one more pops up. And this has a lot of, like, you're seeing lots of ghosts, and they'll, like, be having a discussion, and then you'll find their bodies somewhere. And if you've made certain choices during earlier quests, then you can also sort of have a final showdown with a guy who was your partner during the very first training quest. Hmm. Blueburst added storyline quests, which you can only do in multiplayer mode with the government quest for some reason. But yeah, they have a history of not being too good at retrofitting things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's quests for all the episodes. In fact, they're they they prefer to build onto things with duct tape and paper clips. Yeah, it's very much that. So yeah. the additional camera work is nice, considering that. Yeah, that like that was what I was saying about that uh, episode four quest. Yeah, because like this, these have the camera centered, like mm-hmm. on this group of enemies, but the center of the screen is the Delrappy. <laughs> <laughs> they maybe got too good at it then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, you know, like I said, you don't really play Fantasy Star Online for the story, and like what's implied is definitely like dark and interesting enough on yeah. its own, alongside the messages, which are good optional but quick and like flavorful way to inject story 
And then having quests where you hang out with people who suddenly have pretty much like low anime quality character arcs is just like, hey, it's me, Ash, and like the guy from the first quest. And, like you had enough of an arc because you know in the first quest I find you knocked out, beaten by basic enemies, and then in the final quest you're taking down enemies in the ruins with the devil saber, and you know you're obviously a lot better. That's an interesting arc. I mean, not inter- but like it's enough. It tells you everything yeah. you need to know. Yeah. And then to have more character development, like they don't have anything really interesting to say. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think. Uh... Though they start bringing them, bringing a lot of them back around for like the episode four story. Yeah, yeah, that was sort of the point where they didn't really realize that less can be more. Yeah, or they stopped realizing that. Probably, I mean, one of my favorite like just random interactions is on an early quest you meet an NPC, and a lot of the early NPCs are just the default character models for the classes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but one of the early ones to meet is a. Uh, Eleanor Camwell, who's oh, when you I meet, like yeah, when you meet her, she's like, "I'm Eleanor Camwell. I'm an android." And the default android character class looks so much like a robot and made. It's like, of course you're an android. Why would you? I don't go up to feel like, "Hi, I'm Sid Men, and I'm a human." <laughs> that's so strange. Like, is that supposed to be like Bond, James Bond, except you state your race? Um, but yeah, in one of the later quests, because there's a lot of weird like research stuff she's involved in. And she's totally willing to spill the beans to you all the time, which, like, no one else ever wants her to do. But on in one quest, like, she's just in the town area. She's not in the quest area. There's a soldier next to her. If you talk to him, he says, you there, don't talk to the android. But, of course, you're like, oh, it's Eleanor. And then if you talk to her, she'll say some stuff. And they're like, oh, I have to go. Bye. And if you talk to the soldier again, he just like, I have nothing to say to you. <laughs> <laughs> just little things like that. And also... Bernie and Sue, who like know each other, but and like they can both fix doors and say, "I have the knack." Yep. <laughs> so and yeah, that chain I said of where you have a showdown with the guy who trained you in the first quest. That's Kirik, who's the male android hunter uh, archetype. Yeah. In the first quest, like <laughs> the last thing he says to you is just like, "Oh, become much stronger, and then you might be able to." rival me one day, ha, 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 and then he disappears. In order to get to that fight, you do have to encounter him a few more times. Yeah, it's really, like, bizarre, though. You don't have that final showdown with him unless you do some specific things through quests. Like, there's one where Sue asks you your name, and you have to not tell her your name to, like, as part of that chain of events. I think one of the reasons I don't mind some of the more difficult, like, obscure things you can do in Dark Souls is because this game really set the stage for stuff I liked in games, and that is so obscure. I don't even really know why it's relevant that you don't tell Sue your name. Still, I never really figured it out. Yeah, and even if you want to have that final showdown with Kirik, you have to finish the quest, uh, pretty much, and then just go back down to the ruins and check your map. Yeah. And then you can get his scythe because he's just the devil up there. Oh, uh, like one of the encounters with him is that you have to it is on the uh, uh, the bride uh, yeah, the quest. You have to you complete yeah you complete the quest and you and she goes on ahead and goes back up to Pioneer Two, 
but if you look at your map and you've done the stuff before leading up to this part, you can find him like way the fuck farther in. Yeah, you check your map and there's like a little arrow, which it's normally for other players, but that's how they make NPC allies work as their party members. And you'll just see like an arrow for someone like way in the distance. Like, what is that? Like, if you even have a decide to do that. Like, you have to practically go through the other half of Caves 2 yeah. in order to get to him. <laughs> so you just go walk up to him and, he's, and he like starts doing the weird cap, alternating cap stuff. Yeah, to show that he's just going bonkers or something, I don't know. It's confusing. Um, but if you do tell Sue your name and do a whole string of other stuff, then there's a quest in episode 2 called Seat of the Heart where he like is he can ally with you, and that's the payoff for that. Yeah. It's it's very strange and confusing. And like I said, the story as a reward isn't... The more they put it, yeah. the less interesting it gets. But it also gives you, like, an item. Yeah, the Regal Ring, which is a shield, which if you die, it revives you and disappears. Yep, it's escaped all. Yeah. But it's a shield that takes a lot of work to get. And it's not a great shield, either. Yeah, so, criticisms. I will say I would have liked an actual look on. Like, just holding the left hand yeah. or something. Honestly, like, in terms of, yeah, improving the combat system, because like I said, there's a lot I like about it. But it's not modern at all. No. No. Uh, yeah. Like, at this point, if I get that itch for Fantasy Star Online, it's real. It's less playing the game and more just listening to the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, come yeah. On. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Recommendations for the soundtrack. Don't, don't mess with it. I still really enjoy playing. Yeah, mm. Star it's still Online fun, too, but as a retro game, it yeah, has marks. I I just feel like its sequels never quite did it right again. Yeah, so they never quite captured the same magic. Yeah, yeah they for one like Fantasy Star Universe and Fantasy Star Online two have problem where the like settings are really unfocused and just like. They kind of throw everything into the mix and don't really care what happens. Mm-hmm. Like PSO, they focused on Gregal itself, and then I guess with these other games, they really wanted to, since they have different different planets, they wanted to give each planet their own little identity and stuff too. But for for some people, I guess it kind of just clashes a lot. But one thing I definitely picked up is none of them like. There's nothing yeah. scary about them, which it's not... PSO's not really a yeah. horror game, but, like, when we discuss the atmosphere, there's something dark there and, like, frightening yeah. replaced yeah. with depressing. Okay. Uh, so in terms of the, um... I remember back before Fantasy Star Online 2 came out, and which is why I still want to give it a shot, is so many of its ideas seemed pulled from my idea of how to improve it. But one thing that is sort of there is, like, weapons should be a little more yeah. differentiated. And I guess this is something that you can get out of Dark Souls. Like, there's, you know, a straight sword, but a different one will have different attacks. Not always entirely different, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's something more to it. Because the getting a saber and that's green, and then it's blue, and then purple, red, and gold, like, that's, yeah. that's not very exciting. Like, it seems like you could just make it relevant to how strong the weapon is, what color They kind of still sort of did that in PSO2, but it's like, 
uh, but rares are just flowing everywhere from higher difficulties and they just fall onto and like people on higher difficulties just can't get rid of them fast enough so you can at least get yourself armed fairly well early on yeah and there's <laughs> other like with PSO2 they have a problem where they have the extra abilities but to get those extra abilities that differentiate the weapons and make them actually their own thing yeah you have to at least grind them to plus 10, which is millions and millions of Meseta to do. Yeah, on higher end And things, yeah. then you reset it back, so it's now a weaker weapon, but at least it has the title. And then you have to do it again and again to get the full efficiency of that title. So... Yeah. Yeah, there's a combination of ideas there, though. Like, when Fantasy Star Zero on the DS, it replaced doing a special attack with weapons to get their special effects. So instead of, oh, I'm going to do this otherwise normal attack, but it's going to be really inaccurate, and it might do fire damage, they had a percentage for, like, effects triggering or how much elemental damage they did. And I think they could do that, and maybe not even give weapons completely different movesets, but as, like, a compromise, there's saber moves, and then maybe there's, like, a special fire attack you do that's a different move. Or like and like rare weapons like the chainsaw, which is oh, yeah. a great weapon idea, because it's the big sword, but it's got like photon teeth going on it. Um, maybe make the health draining attack more chainsaw like and less just yeah. swinging a hunk of metal around. And I thought that things like PSO having the weapons that were kind of blends of each other and just like the weapon types mm-hmm. that were only in rare weapons and didn't show up in the most of the gameplay were interesting and made getting those rare weapons Mm -hmm. feel really satisfying and just you wanted to use them and show them off yeah where in future games Mm -hmm. the only thing that matters is the number of stars under their name Uh uh-huh they're like basically uh Mm -hmm. statistics yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was especially apparent in universe yeah yeah, Universe was especially bad about that. On PSO2, like, the movesets seem pretty similar. So, like, you're doing cool stuff with the default weapons, which I don't... I mean, it's hard to say, like, disempower players and make them weaker, but there's a correct way to do it so that the regular, like, moveset feels good to use and the especially powerful stuff yeah. feels really cool. But, like, the empowerment level of, say, having... Heaven Punisher in Fantasy Star Online, which is a big deal, doesn't really match, like, jumping in the air and doing a combo with a giant hulking sword in Fantasy Star Online 2, yeah. which you can just do. <laughs> They're different games is the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, and ultimately that's why, like, we're discussing this is because yeah. I think an improved Fantasy Star Online 1 yeah. doesn't necessarily look like Fantasy Star Online yeah. 2. Or Fantasy Star Zero. Definitely not Fantasy Star Universe. <laughs> <laughs> I really just want a Fantasy Star Online that feels like the original in a sense, but improves on its weaknesses, because there's no other games that are like it. Yeah. For all its flaws, it did so much right, and it was so satisfying to play, that even if you get bored of it, you still want more. I mean, and sure, there's definitely an element of, like, 
oh, you're just getting addicted. And it's, but it doesn't really actively try to sort of sucker you in with yeah. this sort of numbers getting higher thing. Like, that happens, but the rate isn't especially quick, unless you play on certain free servers. Yeah. Yeah. But even then, like, it, it doesn't shove things in your face. Like, the red box, like, making an item bright red and having its, like, name appear in gold, all caps, when you identify it. Like, that's the most manipulation they really try to pull on you. Yeah. yeah. All the different mechanics are done so well that just playing it feels good. Though while we're on that note, I do appreciate weapons being rare, but these numbers are gigantic. Yeah! They are unacceptably huge. Oh, yeah. Like, Heaven Punisher is good. It's not that good. Yeah. When you can't fire lasers from the sky, it's a regular handgun. <laughs> and other weapons are really difficult to get, but they're just, like, interesting. There's a certain, like, weapon type called launchers, which can pierce through enemies. They don't do a ton of damage, but they can hit multiple parts of bosses, hit crowds. <laughs> and then there's a handgun called Ruby Bullet, which has some properties of launchers. The bullets don't pierce, but they can hit enemies at like really high altitudes and ranges and stuff like that. It's an interesting weapon, but it's really difficult to get, and it's not very good. Yeah. But it would be more encouraging if the weapon drops were a bit more sensible. Yeah. And maybe if there's a system in place that, okay, like 1 in 24 chance, but if you kill 24 of this enemy, which they still need to drop those numbers in some cases, you get it. Yeah. And then at the other side of the coin, they, like, I want to say they'd want to promote, if they have some sort of economy system in place, they'd still want to figure a way to promote that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really like a marketplace at all for items. Like, unless you find a forum and can organize trades, you're just sort of shouting in the lobby. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Also, one thing they definitely would have to, I definitely want them to change in terms of just intro weapon balances. There's a weapon in Fantasy Star Online, it's been in since the first version, which seems really cool and it's difficult to get. There's a bunch of katanas you can find that are named Agito and they have a year after them. But the hardest one to get is the Agito 1975, and if you take it to a certain guy in a quest who says he's looking, you know, for a specific sword, if you have it and, like, it's in your inventory and you show it to him, He'll say, oh, this is like the legendary Oroti Agito, like, and it becomes a much better weapon. Mm. And it does a lot of damage per hit, and it fires like an energy wave as a special attack. Cool. But it only does three hits, so like the twin brand or any of the other much easier to get multi-hit weapons outpace it by a lot. <laughs> and I mean, that's a tough question, like it's always been in games to bounce out hits versus damage, but... It needs, they need to do something, like maybe yeah. a special attack can be more interesting, or if there's some sort of special abilities with weapons, like what if you could parry with it? That would change everything. Like if it wasn't even especially strong, but suddenly you have this whole new mechanic to this weapon that increases the pace of a fight. Another change I think might be interesting is mags are neat, but they're just, they really are accessories. Yeah. Um, with stats attached. And Fantasy Star Universe made it so that there's some like a partner machine you could feed, and it would turn into like an android teammate. Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, they don't necessarily need to do that, but I mean, some mags look like giant shoulder cannons. There's got to be something. Oh yeah, yeah. PSO two, you can like once as long as you keep it fed, it'll 
uh, attack in some fashion and perform some other actions like heal you under in certain constraints or buff you or yeah and imagine if like the photon blast like having them be cutscenes is pretty neat imagine if they did something like it would just turn into a weapon you equipped or that would be cool. it would affect mm. your like combat skills so you would do like an endless combo or something like that or have bigger range see i really liked infinity blast from uh Bandit star portable 2 infinity cuz those were the coolest thing they were just... Everything about them was really satisfying. And since each race had a different, like, ability, it gave them a bit, lot more personality to play as them and more reason to look between them. Mm. And just, like, uh, the Doomans Infinity Blast. They basically, in general, they have high attack stats but low defensive stats. And... The Infinity Blast basically is, you can't heal or do anything like that, but you get to shoot lasers out of your fingers and make things blow <laughs> up. It is the best. Yeah, one thing they could definitely backport, like, there's some games where I feel like maybe one feature could really, really help it out. Like, I, for me, like, I prefer Max Payne 1 to Max Payne 2, but 2, after you dive, you don't have to get back up to keep shooting. That's the one feature I backport in that. In this, dodge rolling. Yes. yes. They added it in like Fantasy Star Zero immediately. It's in Fantasy Star Portable Two, yep. um, and you know there's a lot of mobility options in online too. But yeah, if you could dodge like roll actively, that would help a lot. Mm -hmm. It would. Along with like, an improved lock-on system and better loot balance. I mean, one thing we didn't mention about Episode Four is there's a lot of rare items, just like a ton all over the place and they have really they have interesting interdependencies but they work out to be not that like yes. it's not a tactical consideration it's just like a cute bonus hmm. like attack 10% faster that's one almost imperceptible and two there's units you can equip to attack 40% faster and it doesn't it's not cumulative <laughs> you'll just attack 40% faster and that's better for every other weapon combo yeah, yeah. so definitely better balance for that and, I mean, I feel like if you have units that increase your attack speed, I mean, that that's such a better option that that should maybe be excised entirely. Yeah, definitely. Just make the weapon speeds more important on their own. It's In a lot of ways, this works out to be more like Dark Souls, yeah. but it's got more of a fantasy theme. And it's, its horror is also more apparent. And we said there's some gross stuff in Azizar Online, but they go... Whole hog, yeah. Yeah. Dark Souls, and Demon Souls. So, like, if you think like things a little bit icky to gross you out, you can't really go anywhere else, especially in a sci-fi setting. Mm. Like, if there's horror in sci-fi, it's really violent. Yeah. Well, I liked the way Fantasy Star Online did it. Was just the they just kind of had a weird abnormal appearance without being exactly gross. Yeah, it was like more like, what is that? Not like, that's yeah. a liver or something. It wasn't an obviously gross thing. Yeah. It, it just didn't match up to anything you would see. Yeah. So, like, they had weird forms without heads and all of that. Yeah. And glowing eyes. Yeah. I'm not sure I'd even add jumping, really, to yeah. an improved fantasy strong one. Like, 
that changes things a lot, and it's interesting, but it becomes a different game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the slow pace for Fantasy Star Online is something that can, should kind of be preserved, just because it it's a very important part of how the atmosphere worked, where if you're just yeah. rushing past everything, you don't notice those little details. Yeah. That's true. Alright, anything else? Um, not that I can think of. No? Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm good. So, if you like Fantasy Star Online, it's Fantasy Star Online yes. 2 through back channels. Fantasy Star Zero on the DS is kind of expensive secondhand. Um, it's a good game. I'm not going to say anything in any specific direction, but DS emulation is pretty good these days. Yeah. <laughs> wow, what a coincidence. And I will say, there's a big problem with Fantasy Star Zero, because while it's probably the closest you'll get to Fantasy Star as... Well, I think Fantasy Star Portable to get closer, mm. but yeah. um, Fantasy Star Zero has the problem of getting up difficulties. It requires doing a seven-hour dungeon that you can't do in multiplayer and can't save in between parts of. So have fun with that if you ever plan to do that. Um, DS emulators also have nice built-in cheat functions. Yeah. <laughs> Funny story. Um, yeah. And it has like a anime styling, like yeah, there's ex- exactly. It kind of looks like Wild Arms. Yeah, it's it's very cartoony western, and yeah, Fantasy Star Portable Two is pretty good. But if you want to start playing the game in earnest, get ready for tons of cutscenes. There's a lot of talking in that game. There's tons of cutscenes. The characters, except for Crotch, are unlikable. Um... <laughs> And the likable character's named Crotch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then there's just the whole thing where you're better off importing Fantasy Star Portable 2 Infinity because it fixes almost all the flaws of Fantasy Star Portable 2, which are some pretty serious flaws. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, there's some really bad class balance where everything except for Vanguard and Hunter are not really that viable. So, generally, I'd recommend PSP2 Infinity. Yeah. But also, PSP yeah. emulation is pretty good mm-hmm. these days. Yeah, really. <laughs> they actually fixed the unique rendering error that uh, they, sure they had. Like, you, you have to set a specific setting on the emulator, or else you're going to get hilarious render rendering issues where... Things that are nearby are being rendered after things that are far away. <laughs> so everything's yeah. invisible. Lastly, Fantasy Star Nova is probably my second favorite of all of them. It has some lack of enemy diversity. and Yeah, there's some straight recolors of PSO2 enemies. Oh, I, almost everything is a recolor. I just think at the same time, the gameplay, like the balance and gameplay, are a lot tighter, except for for some reason they took out the main mechanic of wands. Uh-huh. So they're useless. Oh. <laughs> um, basically, they just have higher attack stats. Yeah, they have the, the higher striking attack, but they can't really do, do much. Well, I mean, like, right now, a, a striking attack. Base build up for ones is actually kind of strong at the moment. Yeah. Also, you have to import it, and it's a Vita yep. exclusive. Yeah, so yeah. but it's a good that's game. Two potential hurdles. Yeah, the um, Vita has a lot of good stuff, but it's still yeah. quite expensive. 
I think it, it does work on the PlayStation TV, though, I believe. Oh, well, that's interesting. Much less expensive. Hmm. Yeah. Also, the, um, the two new weapons, Piles and Halos, are really good, and I wish they would have taken them into Fantasy Star Online, too. Yeah, also, let's see. I mean, there's Demon Souls, Dark Souls, and Dark Souls 2. Like, it's obviously pretty different, but I think it scratches a lot of the same itches, and in terms of, like, mm-hmm. functionally, just how it plays, how combat works, yeah. is sort of it, a lot of the things you'd want out of Fantasy Star. Mm-hmm. And it's got rare drops, but, I mean, after Fantasy Star Online, someone being like, I could never find this weapon, it's so rare. It's like, I've seen someone get it. Like, I know someone out there has it, which is more than I can say for a lot of things in Fantasy Star Online. Mm-hmm. Even even during Universe, was like, everything that starts rare slowly gets less rare. Unless, mm-hmm. the, though there are still edge cases that retain their rarity throughout all time, like any of Elder's 12-star weapons. The problem with yeah. Fantasy Star Universe's rare drops is that even if they weren't rare, you had to craft them. Oh, yeah, you get blueprints, you don't get weapons. Yeah. So you have to grind, even once you get the rare drops, you have to grind, and there's a chance that the rare drop, which is a disc that is usable only once, so if you fail the recipe, you can't craft it again. Mm-hmm. Like, I think yeah. one of the early Psycho ones failed, even though it had, like, a 90% uh, success rate. <laughs> that is awful. Don't forget to upgrading your weapons had a chance of just destroying them completely. Oh, yeah! yeah. Also, in later Fantasy Star games after online, you'll see that they sometimes have areas where it's like, oh, you can go back to the forest. Consider it more like if they made a theme park version of that area yeah. to go through, because that's yeah. what those are. Mm-hmm. Those are blatant nostalgia trips with, like, zero subtlety. Which, it kind of yeah. culminates in Infinity when you outright go and get Red, Red Ring Rico and uh, Flowen's uh, partner cards and do adventures with them. And also Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. That is one thing good about to Infinity, is the really, really dumb things they were doing with uh, advertisements in the game. So you could be like Hatsune Miku and Megarunuka, but you could also be Colonel Sanders and just yeah. all sorts of really ridiculous shit. Yeah. No, that's product placement done right, as far as <laughs> yeah. I'm concerned. And there was also, like, the items they gave you for those were actually pretty good good early on and could get you through the early game. So that was actually really nice. Especially the chain whip, which was kind of awesome. Yeah, I think I used the cheese weave shield for a pretty far yes. longer than I should. <laughs> <laughs> I just love everything about that. Yeah, so you have some choices if... Fantasy Star Online is maybe too tough of a nut to crack. <laughs> Though, honestly, if you want to play the game itself, you have a couple choices, too, about servers that are free to play on. And deal with some of the drop issues. Yeah. Oh, well, obviously you can't expect consistent... I mean, Sega themselves didn't really pull it off all the time. So people doing it while letting you play for free entirely. Um, yeah, you're not going to expect much. My one thing is just, if you want something specific, 
Abandon ye here, ye all hope. <laughs> yeah, just pretty much. Don't, okay. yep. don't. That's it. <laughs> I have played PSO2 for, for its entire run so far because I enjoy fighting monsters and killing the mobs. Even my biggest thing that I it's prevented me from burning out in this is just saying, is just never expecting anything. <laughs> Which sounds bad, but I mean, if you just want to wind down and play a game that is enjoyable to play, then instead of yeah. if you want to be the best at it, it's not geared towards making that easy at all. Yeah, or very rewarding. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. The original Fantasy Star Online. The first time I played Blue Burst, it was on a server called Stack. Yes. S C H T Hack. The quality is what you would expect. The most useful feature is you have a communal item storage box, so you can trade mm. stuff between characters without having to trust someone and hand them items yeah. or drop items in a room and then hope no one locks it and come back and no one takes it in the meantime. Or yeah. buying a second controller for Xbox and trading with yourself offline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or if you play it on GameCube, you can obviously just make a second character because you can fit uh, three or four characters on a memory card in that version. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you want to get the GameCube version, the regular—I mean, because that's the only one with split screen that and four controller points on the console, and it works on the Wii, and is able to still function anymore because PSO Xbox both required yeah. Legacy Xbox Live, and it required you to still connect to the server anyway. I think the game servers. Yeah, there's a workaround for the GameCube version, so you can play on free servers. Like Xbox is just dead. The yeah. only problem is that on the GameCube version, you won't get to enjoy, and I say this in air quotes, <laughs> you won't get to enjoy the tower missions. Well, you see, that's the thing. Well, there's a regular release, which on the low end, like, the lowest I've ever seen it is 20 bucks used with, like, just a disc. I've seen it around 40 I lucked out and got it for about 15 from a game store because the guy knew me. Here's the thing, before I saw that copy, I saw Fantasy Star Online Episode 1 and 2 Plus for the GameCube, which includes the tower missions and the shop quest that lets you customize S-rank weapons from challenge mode. Now, it was $5, but I asked my girlfriend at the time if she wanted, if she would be willing to play it with me, because otherwise I didn't want to hog the TV for hundreds of hours, (laughs) and she said, you know, it's up to you, and I thought, I'll skip it. And then... I went home that day, and I changed my mind. I'm like, I should go back sometime to that store and get it. And I looked up secondhand prices. The lowest price was $120 (laughs) for just the disc. And I went back, and it was gone. Yeah. If you want to play that version, GameCube emulation is pretty good these days. The only problem with the tower is that once you get to the top, the camera is... Yeah, the boss is the camera, and there's an enemy there, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have fun with that. We didn't really talk about that. I, I've never beaten that enemy. I've not either, but I I've, got to to, say. I've got to experience that camera because Ultima, the Ultima server, has oh. that camera for certain missions. Epsilon, that's that boss. Yeah, he just, like, had these shields change color. They make them pretty much invincible to that element. But also, the shields 
uh, fan out from him and start spinning around him quickly. Yeah, so don't spend $120 so you can do that. <laughs> so yeah. guess what happens when they are blue or purple? You either freeze or you get killed instantly. <laughs> Ta-da. So yeah, don't spend $120 and do that. The second-hand seller doesn't need that money from you so you can do that. It's not going to go to Sega, who definitely don't deserve $120 for those design decisions. <laughs> so, you know, emulate if you want that. Oh, Ilgo's kind of neat. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's not a super special. There's recolors in there. Um, yeah, so emulate the plus version if you want to do the Tower Quest offline. It's not super expensive for the GameCube, and you can play split-screen with your friends. I think it's a more satisfying, fulfilling experience than, say, Gauntlet Dark Legacy. You wouldn't want to do split-screen uh, challenge mode. There's different rewards, which are all, like, gimmick weapons, but yeah. Like, if you're doing it just for challenge mode, you're not really uh, relying on the rewards, per se. You're just doing challenge mode. Yeah, uh, but it's it's there. It's present if you want to do it with people on the couch. In addition to Shtag, there's Ultima servers, which is the one I played on most recently. With me, it was her idea, I think. Yep. Right? Yeah. And that's a, a pretty good... The experience rates are super boosted, and the rare enemy appearance rates are really high. So you will see like more within like a half hour of rares than you will in your entire lifetime otherwise. Let me tell you about Disca of Liberator. Oh, <laughs> those junk rares that are like supposedly exciting um, will become pretty plain. I mean, <laughs> it, it does fix things like the two hundred thousand drop rate. Yeah, the drop rates, like them being boosted, is definitely appreciated, and the faster leveling will cut down on the grind required to go up difficulty levels. Mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely good aspects to it. The thing is, though, normally when you level up in the game, you're feeding your mag to increase your stats. Yeah. So you'll be at, like, I got to level 20 and I was still getting destroyed by certain enemies and I couldn't equip a bunch of stuff and I realized that's because my stats have been going up but I haven't fed my mag as much in this time frame. Yeah. So the power curve is a little different. Keep that in mind if things seem a little nonsensical in terms of your character's development. It's just the accelerated experience throws things off. And stores will stock more expensive items before you probably have the money to afford them. So Yeah. It, but if you can deal with all that, like I think it's probably one of the better ways to experience Fantasy it's Star Online. A good uh, accelerated version. Yeah, like if, for example, like you now work a full time job and aren't a high school student or a yeah. college student. You just don't want like you want to come in, see what's it, it's all about, see a number of things, and then be on your way. Yeah, I mean, I still put a fair amount of time into it, and I haven't quite gotten to ultimate difficulty, but. I've gotten much closer in much quicker time. So, and as an online, it has a community, so you can use the message board and maybe trade some items to get rares you want. So, the advantages of playing online. When I say I played it offline, I played the Dreamcast version offline and I played the GameCube version offline. And that's a little under half my playtime with Fantasy Star Online ever, which is the game I've played the most of any game, which is why this is episode one. <laughs> And I liked it a lot. I think that, you know, I, that might say some negative things about me, but I think it says some positive things about the game. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth a shot. Like, if any of this sounded at all appealing to you, it's definitely worth playing it. With the right mindset, I think it's still a really enjoyable game. Yep. 
Okay, so if you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's ThoughtABTGames. And on uh, Tumblr, where we'll have the show notes, it's wethoughtaboutgames.tumblr.com. If you want to follow me, my handle's at beamsplashx. Uh, Kirby, where can they find you? On Twitter, it's at Kirby Superstar. And also, I have a website where I type too much about games nobody gives a crap about, which is obscureoldgames.com. All right, excellent. Yeah, it's a it's a really solid site, by the way, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't... Yeah, uh, give it a look if you're interested in this. Uh, Kirby also covers the other Fantasy Star games in the series, including the text adventures. <laughs> <laughs> next time, where can they find you? At next time, SA on Twitter. Right. Well, you'll just see me tweeting links... To the PSO2 blog for the updates on the Japanese site a lot, or cat pics. You're working on something PSO2 related, aren't you? That's in the oven still, but it's just a database website that's actually a database as opposed to individual Excel sheets or wiki pages. So that'll be uh, mentioned there if anywhere else first, I assume. Yeah. Mihal, how about you? So you can find me at at Sarah Nodenberg, spelled S-A-R-A-A-U-T-T-E-N-B-R-G, on Twitter. Uh, I hope you like sapphism, because, yeah. <laughs> and occasionally video games. <laughs> occasionally. Same for all. I mean, if you follow my personal Twitter account, you're just going to get a bunch of weird jokes, and sometimes yeah. I might be sad. <laughs> So, if you don't want to deal with any of that, that's what the podcast Twitter account is for. Hmm. Alright, so, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, keep thinking. Good night. Good night. Oh no, I stopped. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs>